Welcome to another episode of The Absurdist. I am joined by my very dear and very old friend, Shiva. Old, of course, just because we've known each other for a very long time. Almost a decade, I think. How long have you Yeah, man. Almost, I think longer than a decade. <laughs> Most probably, since the school days. 2006 or seven, at the very least, I think. So substantial. At least, yeah. We go back, man. We go back. <laughs> So, so more than that, actually, 15 years, almost. Man. Yeah, easily. Make you feel old, right? Uh, don't remind me, I'm turning 13 about two months. <laughs> oh, How long do you have? Already? How long do you have? I got a couple years, couple years. I'm right, right, right behind you, man, right behind you. Two years, one you year? Can, How long? You, you get to jump in the water first and tell me how cold it is before I oh jump in. God. Well, what people have told <laughs> me is that 30s are just like your 20s, but with more money. I'm guessing that's true. Yeah. Well, I hope so. That, that'd be really nice. The good thing but we excited, did. I'm excited, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Are you excited for the... I'm excited. You know what? I think that if I were to look at this realistically and if, if life plays out the way, the way it should, um, life... 20s need to be more like a preparation era, I feel like, of your life. You know, you actually do leave the nest. You get to go experience life. You get to be on your own for a little while, you know. And it's been, it's like, a, it's building the fundamental basis for the future that you're going to live. Mm. And I think 30s is when you really kick it into gear. But a lot of people fear it because of, a, because of the number element of it. So they're like, no, I'm getting older. I'm like, well, that's happening regardless. But I think the 30s can probably be your strongest years. I hope you're right, Babaji. I hope you're right. <laughs> I hope um, so too, man. <laughs> uh, that's another, um, uh, you know, thing that uh, I think uh, we should talk a little bit about before we even get into it. For most people that would not know, uh, Shiva and I uh, go back uh, for 15 years, as I said, and we go back for a very specific reason because we were shifted to a uh, a special education class because we both <laughs> suffer from something yeah. very similar, ADHD. That's pretty much what was diagnosed. And that's why you would notice on the podcast as well, there will be times where uh, we might not even, you know, we might over talk each other sometimes or we might, uh, you know, have something to say and just lose track of something that we were saying. That's just something you'll have to bear yeah. with us for. So that's, that's something. <laughs> we don't make it better for each other. We make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear we do. I swear we do. But that's, I think the energy is very complementary as well. There's sort of back yeah. and forth that happens with that kind of energy. Um, as yeah, opposed to sure. someone who would be still and stable sitting over there without any form of animation and just sitting there and you asking them questions. That would be, I think, more of an interview. This would be more of a conversation. An over-talking one, but a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> A recorded phone call. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Put it that that too. That too. Very true. Yeah. So we go back, uh, what, 15 years? And um, we go back for that specific purpose. I would want you to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, give an introduction of yourself. I'll give an introduction of you before uh, you do so that right. you have some structure and I do too. Um, Shiva met me um, in, as I said, the special education class, and uh, we were there for about two years. And uh, I wouldn't say we were the best of friends. We were good friends, though. Good friends, not the yeah. best, maybe, but good friends enough. Uh, school friends. So, yeah, uh, I went to his house a few times as well. Uh, he comes from, uh, you know, uh, uh, a relatively... Uh, a mix sort of a family where his mother is yeah. an American, an American citizen. Yeah, and that's right. father is pure Desi, Brahmin. Absolutely. <laughs> Brahmin. So, Brahmin. <laughs> three brothers and three yeah. brothers and sisters. Shiva is the oldest one out of the three. That is correct. Yeah. And, um, and uh, yeah, he's uh, an, uh, 
he's an exceptional person in quite a few things. He's excelled in oh, life well, in quite you, a man. few things. Very welcome. <laughs> quite a few things. One of those things is obviously he has got into health and fitness more than most people of our batch got into. And he's obtained or maintained a relatively prime physical uh, state for almost a decade now, I think. You've been bodybuilding for about a decade now, I think. Uh, I wouldn't call it body bodybuilding, but I was more of a, I would say, um, just just a, a general sense of fitness. You know, you want to enhance your own body as much as you can. But I, I never, I never looked at it from the bodybuilding perception. Is it still a lifestyle though that you follow, the health and fitness lifestyle? Well, I would say um, at, le- at least in the in, in my my observation of that, when you're doing the like the bodybuilding or the physique kind of uh, approach to to yourself, then you're you're taking it more as a a goal oriented or at least it's more so a short-term goal-oriented approach because you want to hit these marks, you want to hit this muscle definition, you want to hit this in terms of density. Whereas on the other end, the way I do it is I just want to continuously um, pr- go to the gym or work on myself and get get better. You know, that's it. More efficiency, more, function, more efficiency, more functionality. So I, I never I never attend, attempted to do any of those shows or anything like that. And But that's a, that's a very different, that takes a lot more work, a lot more a lot more time, a lot more dedication. And I have, I have a lot of respect for people that do that. I mean, because it does take a lot of discipline. So I have to give them that. I think that is uh, almost on the board, uh, almost a borderline obsession to maintain that kind of physical prowess. It, it, I mean, I, I would say more of a devotion. Let's put it mm. that. Let's put, it's, you're, more, you're more devoted to this, to the result that you're seeking, which I mean, to everybody, everybody wants to devote themselves to something or they should at least. So I, I would say at least that, sense of devotion and discipline towards something is very vital in your life and you learn from that you can always um you can always change the the focus of your devotion so i think that's something that people learn from their continuous um i would say um they're 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 themselves working on their body working on their health working on something it is a form of devotion and if you recognize it that way the focus of your devotion can always change so you could be devoted towards your work you could be devoted towards your family you could be devoted Mm. towards your career you could be devoted towards your religion or your or your spiritual practices so that sense of devotion gets strengthened Mm. good Uh, and this obviously started uh, while you were still in india before you moved abroad right the bodybuilding for sure i mean fitness spot i i think I, and I, I can speak for most people not everybody of course but most people i think it starts from this i would say this insecure place where you feel um smaller than people you want to mm. or skinnier you, you feel weak you, you want to be strong you want to be big you want to be more confident and presentable so it i think it starts from there because you want you want all these things and people tell you you have to go work out you have to go lift lift things you have to put in the effort to get where you want to be so it starts from there but along the way it's a long journey ahead but along the way you really learn a lot about yourself learn a lot about like i said devotion and it it turns into something much more richer i would say than it initially you you set out for it to be so that's the thing i would say that it's very um uh, the the i would say the, the the fruit that comes from that tree the most nutritious one is the fact that you really learn to be disciplined because it takes work you're not going to get anything out of it unless you put the work in unless you put the effort the time the discipline go when you don't want to go more than t- more than the times you you actually want to go and then o- over the and over I think the that's years, true you- for everything i mean even yoga and meditation i find it very very boring sometimes to wake up and do these things oh, but for sure you got to push yourself for it 
Yeah, you have to. And I, I, even with my yoga practices, I, I always say like, if you're not going to have, if you don't, if you're always going to have days you don't feel it. You're going to have days you're like, no, it's not today. My back hurts or something and I'm tired. My eyes are heavy. But if you at least open the mat and sit on it, like I, I would tell people, just sit on the mat on a day you don't want to do it. You'll end up doing a little bit of something, but it's much more beneficial for you to have at least opened the mat and sat, sit on it for that day that you didn't want to do it at all to strengthen your devotion, strengthen the routine, st strengthen the, the, the pattern in your brain of I'm going to continuously do this. So at least do something. And you'll recognize over time that, that part of the day gets so much more enjoyable and so much more easier because you like carved it into your mind. So it's, it's important to do, the, do it on the times you don't want to do it the most because most. that's the times where you really pay, like pave it into your mind. Very true, very true. Very true. And of course, uh, yoga is something uh, you got in much, uh, I mean, fairly recently, right? Since you moved to the States. Well, you weren't into uh, these things when you were in India. No, no. I wasn't into most of the time in the States either. Honestly, mm. it was more over the past three years, around three years. It's a very recent chapter of my life, mm -hmm. to be completely frank about that. So health um, is a very holistic thing for you now, of course. I mean, looking good, having a, a decent body and, of course, the, the yogic part of it is also a big part of it now, from what I understand. Yeah. Well, the, I'd say now my approach has changed that compared to how it was the past couple of years and especially the past decade. Now I'm, I'm more focused on health. I'm more focused on well-being. I'm focused on energy. I'm focused on functionality. And, and I want to be, I want my body to be flexible. I want it to be open. I, I, wanted, I want to feel the, the benefits more than I want to see them, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So, and before the, the older, I would say the past five, six years, if not more of my life, it was more about a, I like to compare, it was like building a sandcastle, you know, it was more about how it looks, the aesthetics, you know, the shoulder and the little arm, and you're trying to change all these things, your abs need to be more defined on this side, that side, like it was, you're really trying to sculpt, it's almost like carving a statue, mm -hmm. but my job also kind of required that as well, so it was more, it, it, I can kind of mask myself for the excuse that it was more for a job, it was more because I, it was my source of income, was my physique, so I, I, I also considered that as well while I was really putting in the work but now I'm those years are behind me already so I'm really more um I'm more focused on the on, on the internal aspect of it and I'm more mm. focused on on the health than I am on the actual looks because sometimes they contradict each other that's a sign of maturity if anything else it's the sign yeah. of the boy growing up to be the man <laughs> finally on the way there at least I'll Let's let's just uh, relax a little more till our thirties. Let's think about the man. <laughs> I'm chilling, man. I'm good at chilling. It's one thing I'm good at. I got to learn that from you when you're here the next time. Chilling—that's something <laughs> I really got to learn. More and you were particularly um, beneficial for the little amount of time that you were here for me for that. Uh, chilling is not something I'm very uh, not particularly good at. Anyway, uh, moving back since we will and this will be a recurrent pattern. Uh, we I was introducing you. And we go oh, back. There's the ADHD we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> My so, apologies. That's all right. That's that's and it's good actually. I mean, there's this free flowing thought that's uh, we have for anyone who would tune into it, they would understand the chaotic energy and they would reap more benefits than a singular structured <laughs> podcast. Sure. Um, so we met, yes, as I was saying uh, over there, and he is from an Anglo-Indian family. Shiva moved to India when he was what three, four years? How old were you? 
think I was closer to five or six. Five or six. Still relatively young. Very young, very young indeed. And your yeah. first language was obviously only English. Yeah, English, yeah. I, it took me a while to learn Hindi down the line. Uske baad to fir bilkuli. Uske baad to bolna shuru ho gaya. Ab to ab to pure pure podcast Hindi mein kar le koi dikkat nahi. Maza aayega logon ko waise, but uh, it'll restrict our audience sadly. Aadhe log samajh nahi payenge, but kya karein? ठीक है इंडियंस को आती है इंग्लिश ठीक ठाक इंग्लिश 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 हाँ समझ लेंगे हम भी इंग्लिश ही बोलेंगे कौन सा इंग्रेजी बोल रहे हैं पूरी पूरी सो सो यस सो वी वर शिफ्टेड बिकॉज वी हैड दीज ऑब्वियस इश्यूज एंड आई ऑनेस्टली आई आई सर्टनली बिलीव एंड आई डोंट नो वेदर यू वेट नॉट बट आई बिलीव ए इज a gift in some manners because how many people can you really sit down to i mean there are the bureaucrats and bankers and things like that and you would sit down and talk to them what are the hobbies they would mention i i like to go to work yeah sometimes on the weekend yeah. i like to sit down and have a few drinks as opposed to someone like you and me I, oh, all right so what are your hobbies uh, you know i uh, i like to paint i like to make music you are a musician as well you play some instruments few few instruments i play i play drums at most but i think my my other roommates and friends are more the music musicians in the house uh, the modesty that's that's the enrichment <laughs> center talking the modesty <laughs> oh, yeah we are we got modest really young oh yeah man yeah, yeah but we are supremely talented in quite a few things and i wouldn't really deny that and that's the only appeal that people find is that um you know the uniqueness the 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 reason people find this fascinating or interesting is because we have all these different hobbies that give us this instant a uh, rush that we've experimented with most of uh, in our lives for example for you as well yeah. i mean traveling was a big part for you as well you traveled quite sure, extensively yeah. that was a hobby adventure mm-hmm. sports you got into a few things that you did in your time i'm sure yeah paragliding sky kuch to kara hoga i have not done skydiving yet i have to admit uh, that's something that i've i've really um, been looking forward to but i have done like the paragliding and you know um windsurfing and all those kind of things but skydiving is yet to be one hopefully soon I'm looking forward to it actually. Let's do it together. What is it, New Zealand or Australia? Yeah, hell yeah. I think New Zealand I heard is a really amazing place to go to. I'm sure they're they're all over the place. Um, I'm not sure I'm not really sure if I want to do it in India first. <laughs> but but uh, I'm going to I'm going to pancake bana hua milega niche zameen pe. Banda keh raha hai sir mein parachute bhul gaya plane mein. Sir mere sar pe kooda. Tune video dekhi? Did you watch that? Did you watch that video of that uh, paragliding guy? The guy, um, this this guy who went no. paragliding in Manali, and us time pe to kud gaya. He's like, "Ha, I want to do it." And he jumps off from the, you know, with the guy, with the trainer, instructor, whatever you call them. And the moment he realizes, oh shit, he looks down and he, he can't see anything, and he's like, "Mother, chod, five hundred rupees le le, lekin mere ko abhi utar, thousand rupees le le, lekin mere ko abhi hawa mein." The guy is shit scared. All right. <laughs> and the the trainer is kicking him dhang se re shant re shant kicking him like in his butt bhadak 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 and the guy is like aur maar aur maar i'm like oh my god ho kya raha dude utar da sir utar da you got listen listen uh, i can i think share the screen you got to watch this uh, video ek second de mere ko let me let me just play this video it's hilarious got a little side track but this is definitely worth it ek second de mere ko no, i'm i'm excited for this one hilarious man it was viral uh, i think last year last last year i forgot it was viral a few years ago and that's funny oh man uh, you got to see this it's hilarious 
Uh, we need a Jimmy or someone, no? Someone who can pull up the, the links and things uh, like that. Like, um, what's his name? On the Joe Rogan guy? Joe Rogan podcast, right. Um, Paragliding. Jamie. Jamie, Jamie, right, right. Yeah. All right, dude, you got to watch this. I won't play the entire thing, obviously, because of the time constraint, but uh, I think I might have to unplug the headphone as well. You can hear the music right now. Yeah, right? I hear it. So, how do I share this? Pet get the kid jangle like Jaiga. Satina run Karnai. What this man? Can you see this? Yeah, it started sharing screen. You gotta watch this whole shit. Look at the moons. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure he must have shot his pants right now. Give it to him. He doesn't drop the selfie stick. He has that. Oh, oh, 
देसी जुगाड़ है सौ दो सौ ज्यादा ले ले लेकिन लैंड करा सौ दो सौ दे रहा है ज्यादा वो भी पाँच सौ हो गया लाख मारेगा उसके देखो He's done. He's done. He's out. Kira mar or mar mujhe doon. Oh man, we gotta try this. Huh? This is in beer billing. This is in beer. I think this is Manali. I hope we do better than this guy, man. I'm pretty sure, man. I I did it once. Of course, I was a little scared the first time I did it. But uh, it's nothing as overwhelming as uh, this guy's response. This guy really lost it. Can you no. hear me? Is this headphone connected? Yeah, yeah. That, that's for the people that love the adrenaline, man. Oh man, absolutely. That's what it is. I think there's Farad's, something about it, though. Yeah, I, I mean, when you're here, let's let's uh, take a trip. At the very least, we can go to Rishikesh and do a little bit of rafting or something, man. Coffee time, okay? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um. All right. So again, sidetracked. So going yeah. back. To, <laughs> Look at that. Like, we're trying to tell the story. We had a video open. <laughs> we're laughing. This is going to be a long, school. long podcast. I'm sure. <laughs> um so so yes so um uh, you know so shiva and i knew each other because of that and um, then eventually he moved back to the states um and uh, the commonalities that we share now were not the same when we met uh, when we met first i think uh, initially it might have been music because we were very fond of punk rock and emo and, and yeah those are those days <laughs> rock the emo music yeah, rock Was it Lincoln Park? Was the kind of music that we were into? I, well, I, I, I think Lincoln. I think the the Lincoln Park and and those. My those Chemical Romance, the used. I think that launched it, and then you then you would go into the the Slipknots and the Bullet oh. for My Valentine's, and then you go to Metallica, and you go. I think, I think you, it was you, a gradual progression that really complemented the puberty. I mean, of course, testosterone was speaking then, so aggressive music yeah. really did uh, act as. I think it was also like modern pop culture as well at that time. Mm-hmm. It was the it was the it was the cool thing to be into and everything. Oh, yeah. So, I think I think we also gravitated towards that for that reason, and I, I and I think also for me at least, I was a very uh, I was a very angry child. Mm-hmm. Not not all the time, but I had I had extreme like anger outbursts, and. Um, I think the the heavy metal music and everything, I would not say at all that it helped me, but I would say it definitely gave me a expressional outlet. Mm-hmm. You know, like it kind of gave me that that place. Listen to this music, you get to feel it, and not be destructive to other people, but just you're internalizing this experience, I guess. Were you always uh, this? Uh, what was it? Angry child, or was that a gradual progression during the puberty? I definitely got. I mean, I, I would say definitely got a little worse as I, obviously, with the puberty got bigger. You know, I, I was more. I mean, when you're a little kid, you being angry is not really not 
that much of a problem for people. But when you're mm. old enough to actually, you know, fight people and be destructive, mm. then now, now you're an issue. Now you're an issue for yourself and you're an issue for everybody around you. So I think that was, uh, it was just, now look, looking back, I think it was just a lot of energy that needed to be directed in the right place. And I think that's what a lot of it usually is for most people. You mm. need to find a place to direct this energy and, and be comfortable with, with confronting emotions outside of anger. For, for me, it was also, like, I like to analyze myself in the past so I could kind of, you know, go through that practice in a way so I can analyze myself now. So when I analyze myself in the past and I see, okay, why was I such an angry child? What was it? It was also a part of me just not wanting to face um, negative emotions. Like, you know, I didn't want to be sad. I didn't want to cry. I didn't want to feel weak. I didn't want to feel these, I would say, more tender negative emotions. So my instinct was to go gravitate towards anger because it made me feel more powerful, it made me feel more, you know, present. I didn't feel weak. I felt stronger. But in hindsight, that actually was weakness. It was weakness because mm -hmm. you weren't strong enough to face those parts of yourself that made you feel weak. So it's like kind of a, it's a learning process, but it takes, it takes a, I would say it takes a journey to understand that not everyone can just click into it. Very true. Very Some true. People, very true. Indeed. You know. And I, I um, certainly, I think twenties are the time where you uh, really reflect on your actions of your teens and your yeah. preteens and you know, how and what shaped you to be the person that you are. And I think as uh, you gradually progress, every decade just becomes a self-reflective decade. Yeah. Like on the chapter. earlier decade. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And yes, as I was saying, um, you know, the, the ADHD, and, and I think it's worthwhile to talk about it because a lot of people yeah. uh, now, uh, are not necessarily ADHD, but they have a dopamine uh, dependency on social media and things like that. So they get a kick out of it. And that's why they're constantly on social media. So a lot of our audience base, a lot of people who watch videos, who listen to podcasts are people who are just trying to distract themselves from the mire of their thoughts. Yeah. Uh, for us, yes, as I said, uh, you know, as opposed to a person with a little bit more structure, you would find them to be particularly bland in terms of their personality. Uh, uh, as yeah. opposed to someone else who has these multiple avenues of self-expression. Uh, it's It could be music, it could be, uh, but it's always multiple. With ADHD, that's something I've observed, yeah. that it's never a singular um, um, <clears throat> form of expression. It's always in multiple facets. I mean, right now, what we're interested in a thousand different things, nutrition, uh, mycology, yeah. so mushrooms and mushroom as a health benefit, not just psilocybin, but mushrooms generally. Um, mm -hmm. as, as the benefits that they can restore. And of course, we are interested in some form of um, alternate uh, medicine, spirituality, yeah, yeah. traveling, um, psychology. Um, so these, these random, very eclectic topics that can't really be uh, you know, put down into one particular cell. And that's one reason why uh, we can talk about a thousand different things and not stick to one topic throughout. Otherwise, we would talk yeah. about only, um, I don't know, your occupation or, uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, wildlife, animals, yeah. the amount of things we're interested yeah. in is so massive. Well, it's, it's a vast universe, man. You'll never run yes. out of topics. Very true. <laughs> as very long as you true. have an open mind. Absolutely. But, but uh, to, to expand on the ADHD thing, um, to me, I think everybody has a very, I guess, different experience. Because I've spoken to a lot of people. I, I am very interested in this topic as well. Because I went through it or I went through that system that you're put through when you have ADHD. I was put on medication when I was a child. Uh, I didn't, thankfully, I didn't take it for long because I frankly don't think I needed it, but I'm what sure it? some people do. Ritalin? I 
believe it was Ritalin, and I think I was on Xanax to it. I'm, I'm not sure about the Xanax. I know for sure I was on Ritalin. But I was young, though. I was like nine, ten years old. So I was, I mean, still. Now, and I can say, looking back, that, you know, I didn't need it. I was just a kid. But I don't know what I was acting like. I don't know. I don't know what kind of trouble I was putting people through. Like, I mean, I, I could only know my own experience. But I also understand that I really just needed to be interested in something. I needed to be mm. interested and willing to concentrate. It was my lack of willingness to concentrate. It wasn't my inability to. But that's something that's difficult to, I would say, break down when a child is not as, as open to communicate and not as open to express this to psychologists and stuff. Because for me, I, I've been to the psychologist and the psychotherapist and all these you know, counselors and you know, all these different all these different people trying to sort out whatever my issue seems to be. Cause to me, I didn't have an issue. Like that's like, to me, mm. it wasn't an issue. It was, this is just another thing I have to do is sit with another guy and do talk about this. And it's like, to me, it was school counselor, this, that, like, therapy. It was all the same thing. It was stuff I didn't want to be doing. I wanted to be outside. I wanted to be left alone and just let me do what I'm doing, but I have to do all this stuff, I guess. So it's just another task. So I was just getting through it the way I get through school. Like I know that you need me, to do my homework so that I don't get slapped in school. Okay, mm. um, I'm just gonna do it for that. I'm not trying to learn anything. I don't care. I don't care anything about the subject. So when I'm in a, when I'm talking to a therapist, I just know that I need to kill an hour and I need to say stuff to you that makes you tell my parents everything's okay, so okay. I can stop coming here and waste wasting my time. You know what I mean? So. But, the, but then when I look at it, I'm like, I just really didn't like being in a room. I didn't like sitting with books. I didn't like learning stuff I wasn't interested in. I didn't like these things. It was lack of interest, not lack of concentration. That's but a very good point, Greg. I'm, sh I'm sure people have lack of concentration. I'm sure, I'm like, I'm not, I can't discredit that some people need the help and some people actually need the diagnosis and, and need possibly need medication. I strongly disagree with that, but maybe, maybe some people do. I don't know their cases. But... I just understand that, that that's how it was. And now the way things are now with social media and you know, the, all these topics changing, politics, everything keeps changing so quickly. What was once called ADHD is just the, the norm now. Like it people's is. attention spans have been molded to be short term. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like even, if you, even if, you're, if you notice, you'll go through like Instagram or Facebook or one of the apps. And if, if a video is past a couple minutes, you actually have to think, oh, am I gonna watch a three minute and 50, 56 second video right now? It's only that much time, but can, you, you almost question yourself. Do I, can I sit and concentrate for that long? No, or you'll notice that people are all talking in a group. As soon as like someone starts getting bored, their phone comes out, like the tension span keeps changing. You can't focus anymore. And that's just how the world has been designed for people. So you can't put the whole world on medication, but you also can't diagnose the whole world with ADHD. ADHD so it's yes. just, it's, it's an attention, attention deficiency disorder. That's literally ADD, ADHD. That's what it is. But it's such a, a I would say, misunderstood concept. Mm. And I definitely think there's a lot of overdiagnosis. Very true, very true. ADHD and stuff like that. And then look at us, like we were, <laughs> they put yeah. us in special ed and, and I, they, they basically convinced at least my parents and, and I'm sure your parents as well, that we're just incapable yeah. of, of yeah. dealing with school. And, you know, I got exempted from math. I didn't have to take Hindi in class. <laughs> I didn't have to, I, I think there's an, something else I got exempted. I didn't, I didn't do biology. I didn't do chemistry. Yeah. I didn't do anything. So it was basically what I'm going to obviously fail at. They just don't give it to me. Give it to Cause, me. Yeah. Cause they're just trying to get me through school because they think I'm incapable of it. And I'm as a child, I'm like, 
I don't want to do math. I have no interest in math at all. So you're telling me I don't have to do it? Oh. I'm good with that. Uh, nothing better. <laughs> yeah. So it's just a, a very interesting point. And that's the other problem is I feel like you're giving children medication. Now, that's where I, that's where I get a little iffy on this. Diagnose somebody, that's fine. Put mm. them in the special ed section, that's fine. But now you're chemically altering mm. their, their body and, 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 their, and their mental fac faculties as well for basically a, a most probably short-term effect. You're just mm. trying to get them to excel in school in some way. Mm. But you're basically giving them speed. You're giving, you're giving them yes. drugs and, and, and altering their, their chemical framework so that you can that they're more manageable in a school system where maybe they're just not designed to be in this. Maybe they're designed to be in a different environment, a different learning environment, which is not provided for, for most people that are having these issues. So I think that's where I look at this. That's my stance on the, like, you know, these learning disabilities and stuff like that. Cause they also said I had dyslexia, mm, So did um, I. which, and I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe there's something wrong with me. I don't know, but I think I I'm doing all right. And if I really am interested, I'll figure it out. Oh, see, there's quite a few points that you made that I find particularly fascinating because uh, you're absolutely right. When you say that it's not a lack of clarity as such or not a lack of uh, um, interest in something, it's the lack of interest in the things, in, in very specific things that are being taught. It's not like we didn't have a an area of interest. We obviously did, but they were not academic. Mm -hmm. Generally, they were not academic. Uh, for, for example, music. Music was something that we were very, very passionate about. And we were, mm -hmm. that's another thing with people with ADHD. They might not be interested in many things, but the things they are interested in, they go into Absolutely. it like Focus. a leech, like a leech sucking the very yeah. depths of your soul out of it. 100%. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so very, very fascinating. What I think chemically, of course, what they say is that, and that could very well be true, that we have uh, perpetually underactive dopamine uh, receptors in our brain or the dopamine levels in our brain are perpetually underactive. So we need constant stimulation to keep it, keep mm -hmm. it going. So inherently we are born addicts inherently. I mean, of course, <laughs> and we try to uh, fill We're in addicted that to our own source of dopamine. Yes, 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 we are. We are. And, and um, that's uh, one of the things that really helps is of course, meditation. And I do think that people with ADHD yeah. in school, children in school would definitely benefit from it if they could. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Implemented, you know, I wish I had someone had taught it to me at an early age, but I then know. again, I'm not sure I would have been, I would have clicked with it as much as I would now, but who's yes. to say, maybe that's Definitely. all I needed. Maybe that's, the, if you forced me to do anything when I was a kid, that should have been the thing you forced me to do mm. so that I am in control of my own faculties. I'm controlling my own dopamine supply for, for that matter. And I'm not trying to seek different activities and, and distractions to satisfy that. True. Very true. And um, have you, have you read about the, um, the nurture versus nature argument about ADHD? Uh, vaguely. That environment so if I'm, if I'm, might be more of an influencer yeah. for ADHD as opposed to genetic predispositions. Yeah, I believe that. I think that's a very, um, very, very true statement because I, I still like I'm, I still notice to my to, to this day like. When I'm trying to read books, as I have difficulty. Also, it's, a, it's an unpracticed muscle, but I have difficulty as compared to some people concentrate and stuff. But, I, but now I have more of the insight to know that, okay, this is a, I, I compare it to a muscle, but it's, it's like a weaker muscle in my body that I just have to keep working mm. it to strengthen it. And I notice it gets stronger and stronger over time. But 
the what I where I really learn the most is an experience. When I go and experience things, when I change my environment and I'm put in situations where I have to figure it out myself, I actually click in much quicker. And I'm very good at like solving problems on the spot and understanding, okay, this needs to be done, I gotta go there and you know, but that environment actually gave me a lesson and maybe I won't even realize I just learned a lesson but then mm. years later I'm gonna put in a similar situation I'm like man I'm on top of this I really know no, how you, to deal with the situation you put it very well actually I mean um, it is another form of ADHD or the, the the two heads of ADHD is hyperactivity and is a certain sense yeah. of hypervigilance so people like you and me uh, if we were born in a more tribalistic society we would be considered the hunters and the caretakers or the guardians because we are hypervigilant yeah. you could make us sit in a particular yeah, yeah. spot and we would constantly be looking around ki ha bhaiya yeah. shikar to nahi aa raha koi khatra to nahi aa raha <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's that's there with us that's that's there with us that's a very strong component of ADHD and of course the nurture wala thing that i was telling you about is also particularly fascinating that as children um in an environment where something is out of your control and you can't do anything because you're small and you're tiny and that's of course something that bleeds into the future as well you want to be strong and yeah, things yeah. like that but when you're tiny when you're small and you can't really do anything about the circumstances your mind does the trick for you you don't have to physically confront anyone if you're in a confrontational situation you just go blank your mind does the thing for you and in a development age if that is happening then of course it will bleed on into the future and it would manifest mm-hmm. as something like ADHD Yeah, and I think I mean, it's well, I, very fascinating in your case very specifically I don't want to interrupt you but it's very fascinating in your case specifically because you had multiple culture shocks and that could be a reason for your ADHD <laughs> as well it could it yeah. could very well be No you're right you're right that's a good point moving to India yeah. learning a new language not having friends initially then finding it difficult to make connections and of course I had a very similar um upbringing as well a very troubled one <clears> and that could be a reason for my and that a different thing could be a reason for your but definitely there is some subtle trauma in childhood that is associated with ADHD and it could be um, I, moving in mind I I, th- I think it could be looked at that way for sure when I when I look at it though in all I've never really had a stable life mm. and I don't mean that in a I don't mean that in like a you know negative way mm. I, I mean that is there's always been change mm. so throughout my whole life you know when i was a kid i like as soon as i got used to this world for the first 4 or 5 years i'm so like, okay this is here's how my hands work and you know little baby things you're figuring out all right boom we're going to india i just sat, still haven't figured out what america even means yet mm-hmm. i don't know i don't have friends i don't have a social life i'm still kind of figuring this out i'm in india and i'm in i'm in delhi you know so I've, a couple of years did there you go to then delhi boom. initially or did you go to masuri i went to world? delhi first Achha. then i went to masuri after that so, so, five so all years of a sudden i'm in this uh, yeah so i'm in the city i'm seeing all this stuff and i remember like Delhi has changed a lot mm. since like it's it's different I, I think people in the western world will understand as little as like 20 25 years ago India was very very like you know backward in terms of like mm. modern development and technology mm. and stuff I still remember to this day I would open my like when I first moved to India or moved to Delhi especially I would open the window to my grandparents bedroom and i would see the defense colony market right mm. now you go there you know there's all the cars and it, mm. it looks like a little modern place the baristan and everything tell like a jungle when i was there nani jungle nahi tha but i would see there were snake charmers and stuff on the road like little sitting there the old like food stalls and mm. it, was, it it looked like it looked like it could have looked exactly like that as little like as, as early as a couple hundred years ago like it, mm. it looked mm. like it would have changed much, much i'm still young i'm not i'm not comprehending this is history or everything mm-hmm. i remember seeing snake charmers and little food cars <laughs> and it just had this very like 
authentic ancient Indian mm-hmm. feel. Now that very mystical, it. but within yeah, within a decade or two, it's completely different now. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't look like that anymore. But that I would say that that shock of okay, this is very different than what my window looked like. What <laughs> <laughs> my bedroom? I can only like imagine. Yeah. America. Were you in any school when you were in the states, or did you move directly over here? And this was the first school that you went to in I, India. I was up to I believe kindergarten. Mm. Oh, I think I just started the first the uh, the first class, um, and then I think I moved. So I, I did I did first in India when I came back as well. So you have formative memories. Do you have memories of the states from your childhood or no? Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. actually surprisingly my childhood memory is very sharp. I remember a lot of things. I remember back to like three something, some like some things I remember. I was I probably had to have been two years old because I remember mm. houses. I I um I was in like. The one I, 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 when I was small until like two years old, I remember, and I remember being moving to another house when I was three. Like I remember these very specific things when I was very, very young. And so my memory is actually very sharp, but also I, I, the point to that is I keep changing so much in life. So I have a very structured, I would say bookmarks Mm-hmm. of my memories they're very organized mm-hmm. so because okay before i moved to delhi what would my uh, after i moved to delhi then before i moved to masuri after i moved back from masuri like there's bookmarks and there's brackets of time so it's easier for me to organize my memories and i feel like that kind of keeps them sharper than as it would have been if i grew up in the same house my whole life you know what i mean if like, if i if i went from you know 1 year old to 28 years old in the same house i think my memories would have been a little bit more foggy but the Thank fact you. that there were so many changes, there's mm. bookmarks. So Bumped I know. Constant stimulus. This mm. Yeah. So there's constant, like, you know, pages flipping. So I have mm. an easier way to organize my memory. So I do actually remember a lot from when I was a child. That's very fascinating. That's given me something to actually think about that you might very well be right. Uh, since there is no change, I personally, I mean, I've, I've, we've changed, what, two or three houses, and this is the third house. And I don't really remember mm-hmm. any much about the first or the second house. I, much, I remember most about this particular house. But you're right. Yeah. I mean, if I had more bookmarks, you're, you're right. Uh, the memory would not be as foggy about the past. That's true. Yeah. So, but again, again, I mean, I got off track a little bit, but I, I wouldn't see it as trauma, but I would see it as my life always had changed. So there was mm-hmm. always every couple of years, four or five years, there was a whole new environment change, mm-hmm. a new set of circumstances, new, new friends, you know, mm-hmm. and all these new house. So I guess change has become normal to me. <laughs> change is constant to me now. Mm-hmm. So I'm always, I'm always expecting it around the corner. Even now I'm like, all right, I don't know. Something's around the corner. I don't know what it is. But I know it's going to change because I nothing, never in my life have I been put in a place where I'm used to some um, stability of mm. how my how my environment is. How do Usually you cope within with a little uh, while, stability? I mean, when you do, when involuntarily, like for now, uh, for the time being, yeah. we are in a certain sense of stability because of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We are all locked down. We are I love it. Up. I love it. <laughs> really, I thought that you would require I, some sort of stimulation moving around. I surprisingly i also really really love doing nothing i i'm and people people always make fun of me and especially my own father he makes the, the best jokes he'll call me he's like i don't understand how do you just do nothing like how can you just sit on a on a chair and do nothing all day you know you just eat and relax and do like yoga or meditate or whatever i'm like i feel my best i feel my best when i'm just left and I don't, I don't need to watch TV. I don't need to listen to music. I don't need to do anything. I can really just sit and do nothing for a long time. Now, so, and I really, really find that peaceful because I feel like I also, 
I mean, I'm, I'm sure everyone has this to some extent, they don't realize it, but I also like to think without words. I don't like to, I don't like to narrate my thoughts or I don't, I find it difficult to narrate my thoughts sometimes. So what, I, I just think pictures and images and things. I like would that? say more just like, we're just <clears throat> comprehensions and, and conceptions. Like I, I don't like, I don't try to narrate it as more as I just try to grasp the concept of what I'm thinking about. Is it abstract? Is it, is it uh, coherent? Well, that, well, that's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. So when I am having these abstract thoughts, mm. I have a much easier time having them because I'm not d diluting them with words. You know, words kind of make it um, difficult sometimes to have these profound, abstract, philosophical thoughts. Mm. But if you're really not using words, most people will find it so easy to just think about something on a much larger scale because you don't need the words for it. You just need to observe or you just need to conceptualize. And that that'll take you for hours. If you just let that, that flow of thought go, it'll take you for hours. And my, my, that's why I was so terrible at school because everyone's like, you know, do this, do that, look at the board. I'm just like zoning off, just like all this, just spaced out thinking about all this crazy stuff. And then, hey, are you paying attention? I'm like, I have no idea what's going on in this class. I don't know where I am. I don't, I don't know what class this is. I don't know what's going on, but it's just- That's, this, that's, this, that's very fascinating. Do you have internal dialogues with yourself or not? Um, not as, I mean, I, I would say if I'm trying to figure out a solution to something maybe, or I'm trying to you know, problem solve something, maybe I'll do some dialogue. But for the most part, when I'm just free, when I'm free thinking, I don't usually have a dialogue or a narrative going on. It's just, it's just, I mean, conceptualizing stuff. And I mean, I, I don't mean to make it sound like some profound, mm. <laughs> some profound framework of mind. It's just, I, I just my way, I guess. And I'm sure many people do that. They may, may or may not realize that's how they're thinking. But usually when you're in this abstract, frame of mind you're not really thinking in words as much as you may believe you are hmm. and this is a realization that you've had since you've started practicing yoga were you aware of this uh, state of mind before as well it is inherently a state of uh, mind. i think i was always aware of it i mean I, I i think that and also i think that's something like for people like us you know like when you when you're bilingual um you're i think able to understand what it is to turn a language off and switch a language and turn it on. So you get that there's, there's a movement with, with mm. this language thing. So you also get there's a, a flip switch and then there's an on and off switch as well. Mm. Mm. You can turn it off. It can be off and then there's no language. There's mm. just the thing that thinks the languages as they express them. But when someone speaks just one language, I feel like they have a little bit of a more difficult time grasping the concept of what it is to flip and turn it mm, off and mm, on because they haven't switched. They've always used this one bandwidth of communication. So they've never switched it. So they don't really get what it is to flip it off. But there's, a, there's definitely a flip switch to use that analogy in your head where you can just turn off your words mm. for a while because it's, it's a tool. Your language is a tool. You're, using, mm. you're bringing a tool out because you got to do something. Mm. How am I supposed to tell you my point without if I don't use the tool of language? Tool, yes, very true. But if, if there's no you in front of me, why do I need it? I don't need language for myself. Mm, mm. I, I have my own ways to think about things and, and to work things out. I don't need my language is important for communicating to others, not to mm. yourself. In fact, it's very, it's very inefficient to communicating to mm, yourself because mm, mm. it, it waters things down and makes it muddy. True and very, very fascinating. Are you speaking about this from experience? Because you've always, I mean, you've, you've, you have, I guess, more um, uh, friends in New York that would be generally monolingual, people who speak only English. 
Have you noticed um, that? Actually, surprisingly, no. I do have a lot of, actually, a lot of my friends here, are, some, are, some are of like Latin American descent, mm -hmm. some are of Middle Eastern descent, mm -hmm. you know, some are of European. So I do have a lot of friends actually here that speak multiple languages. But the ones that, that, that don't, I think they, they would actually, I've had these conversations with them and they agree in, in some sense. Cause like when I'll, I'll point out something like that, like, you know what, that makes a lot of sense because it becomes a, like a habitual process of any form of a communication internal or external needs, okay. a, needs a narrative. It needs a dialogue. It needs some kind of um, words to put context to it. But a person who grew up with another language, especially another language as their mother tongue, mm. they'll get it. Okay. Like flipping a language back and forth. If you, if you can flip it, you can turn it off. And it makes it much easier. And that helps you with your meditational pr practices and everything mm, as well, because very true. It, it, it gives you that, uh, it gives you more access to the control panel, to use mm. that analogy, within your mind of, you know, language and thoughts and stuff like that. It gives you more of an organized insight on how the inner workings of your mind are, or at least makes you understand how it's all working so that you can start to take control of it. So I definitely noticed that more in my, I would say my practices of meditation as I'm trying yeah. to narrow down and understand the, the, the path to follow, to break down these aspects of myself, I notice that it actually does help to switch off your constant state of, of narrating things as they're happening. Very fascinating that you've given this so much thought. I haven't really thought much about it and uh, it has given me something to actually think about. And it is true when you put it in uh, the frame of reference with respect to meditation. Yes, it it mm -hmm. does seem uh, truer. Yes, I mean, of course, there are scientific reasons for that as well. That being for bilingual sure, sure. Uh, has uh, you know is is associated with some form of higher cognitive ability because you're literally seeing you're literally seeing the world in two different uh, ways at the same time. At the same time, yeah, yeah. there are no, uh, I mean, there are plenty of words in uh, Hindi that cannot be replaced uh, with respect to no. English. Ananda, no, for that what, matter. What, what, what are those words actually? Is Jugaru. <laughs> what word? Megdu. Eh? I don't know. There's no perfect word in English. But every time I see someone like fixing something or putting a, putting a chappal under yeah. the door to do this, and Jugaru uh, Yes, yeah. But then I. Uh, uh, I'll even try to tell someone who's like, I'm like, you know what? There's actually a word for this. They're called Jugaru. There's makeshift and make do and all, you know, um, uh, improvise. There, there's only words the act, similar to not it. Not the person itself. The person is Jugaru. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even Jugaru itself. Like, the, ah. like Jugaru just hits it. It hits it right on ah, that place. And you're like, ah, oh, I get I get exactly what. Because you also think of this, this again, like makeshift or improvising. Ah. Uh, improvising DIY. Ah. To figure. Yeah. Ah. So, but that, like words like that, you know, you, you understand that some, Languages nail something and some languages don't have it. And then there's some words probably in English that Hindi doesn't have the perfect word for. But you also notice with that is what I notice. I'm sure you will as well. And I think more for me because I'm also not bilingual, but I'm bicultural. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 um, when I switch my languages, your personality changes. Changes, your yes. Very true, very true, very true. Almost your tone of voice changes. All these things about you change. So you almost have a personality split as well between your two languages. And I'm sure you notice this with me as well. This is, I'm Hindi, I'm going to change it. Like, I don't know. 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 I
स्टोर्स Talk to my friends, and that's how it developed. But that's how you speak, and all that—that that road, Galibala Hindi. That's how you mm. speak it. So, I, like, if you—I I don't really—I'm not really good at like the Shubh Hindi, like proper, you know, mm. like you know, the, the the more like straight, like forward, sophisticated style of Hindi, because mm. no one speaks to them each other that way. You don't use the same words. You don't use the same. Like, you know, you you see a, like a minister giving a speech or something. There's different terminologies you use because Hindi is a very vast language as well. So that that whole avenue of it is a very it's a very like different um d- different use of vocabulary and a di- different type of grammar and everything so that i never really needed it because i never spoke to anybody like that way mm. but i i needed to i needed to speak that street hindi you know because that's what i was that's where i was but 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 that's bring my point worked the personality changes worked in your favor yeah. bro got <laughs> you out of a lot of tricky things i'm pretty sure for sure for sure and, and it was also a feeling of being accepted you know like mm. i i i understood for me i look different i don't look i don't look like i'm another one of the you know guys who should be hanging out in the street in in delhi i always looked mm. out of place so i needed to almost go overboard with the the the, mm. the street element of of my language and everything as well so like it was more of a i it's i would say a adolescent sense of wanting to be accepted as well and and i noticed okay i'm not pronouncing this right i got to go further and further and then i realized i so that's that's what's funny cuz people be like kitna gawar banda yaar kaise hindi bol rahe so to me that was a compliment because pehle mere ko ye log firangi bolte the ye ye log ye log mere ko gore firangi corner ye sab to main kaha yaar this is not working bab gawar bola rahe as if main english bol bhi nahi sakta mere ko kisi english sikhaye nahi kisi ne hua kaisa matlab how did it how did you realize this this thing uh, because you moved to masuri from what i i mean you moved to delhi then you said ki delhi to look like a bloody uh, i mean bloody ni i would actually prefer it for uh, for india to look the same way it did 20 years ago that mystical charm is me all, too man me too me too losing it man now i miss it i miss it mere dar yahan ghum rahe ho wahan ghum rahe ho ha kuch nahi hai are udhar pakdi lagaye ghum raha hai it was very indic now it's very western yeah 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 it's, it's and it's not like uh, it's not real like I, it's, it not, it's not real in the western world either also it's just it's i don't know in india has something so it, it has such a treasure mm. that it, it has within it it's, it's preserved so, so much powerful concepts and practices and things like that and it's and it's i think it's important 
for Indians to understand that you need to preserve your culture. You need to preserve what you've kept alive for these thousands, 10, 15 thousands of years, because that's, that's what the real richness of this, of that country is. And you're trying to mimic the Western world. You're trying to mimic these qualities of them. It's not going to, it's not going to benefit. A burning civilization. The Western world is dying right now. Exactly. Definitely. Especially now. I I heard they had uh, another riot yesterday. Was it? Something happened again. They're having them. All, they're having them all the time. That's. It's just a. It's a weird climate right now, man. I. I can't. It's. It's difficult. That's the other thing with the ADHD. When it comes mm. back to that, it's like it's so difficult to even expect somebody to be able to pay attention to all these things as are happening. Very you know, true. Sometimes there's a there's a virus happening, and then there's riots happening. They, they, and then they're then talking about UFOs in the Pentagon. I was like, what the fuck? No one is talking like, about what it. Do you do? What are you doing? Like, how much confusion can people go through? And then the, 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 the weirdest part about that is that people are expected to have a stance on everything now. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost not accepting, like, okay, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Are you racist? Are, are, are you, do you want your family members to die? Do you not care about the virus? Do, like, are, are, you, are you ignorant to your own economics and the politics and who are you supporting? Are you Democrat? Are you Republican? A lot of people are like, I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just, I just got finished figuring one thing out and now everybody already changed. The news is saying something else and you, social media is saying something else. As soon as you figure something out, they've it's already gone. changed something. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's difficult for people, and that's what uh, that's what I'm noticing now is everybody's everybody's fabricating this fake sense of a stance on everything, because yeah. you can't be ignorant. You're not allowed to be. It's not unacceptable because people have forgotten the value of of true ignorance. Mm-hmm. Not don't 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 get that mistaken with the uh, ego ego egotistical ignorant people, but mm-hmm. people that accept their own ignorance. I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. If you have some knowledge for me, teach me. I'm willing to learn. I'm willing to find out. I'm willing to go through the process and understand what I can understand about this. But I have to be honest with myself if I don't mm. know enough about something. If you don't know, you don't know. But now you're for, almost forced to have to know about something. Like you, you, you sound like you're, you don't just sound ignorant. You sound like you're the problem now because mm. you haven't figured out a, some, a stance on something that's important to you. So it's a very difficult thing to process. It is, it is. And the, I guess more so for you, I mean, I wouldn't really say more so for you now. I think uh, we live in a very universal um, culture where it doesn't really matter what's happening in the US. A similar thing would be replicated in Australia and India. Everything it's the same thing. The social narrative thing that you're talking about is the same thing yeah. over here. Expected to have yeah. an opinion on everything. For example, right now, the buzz, the topic that's really uh, picked up is uh, this actor, this Indian actor we had, Sushant Singh Rajput. Yeah, I, I heard about that. Yeah, it's a muddy case, man. Uh, so he died um, uh, a few weeks, uh, a week or so after uh, his ex-manager died called Disha Salian. And then he mm-hmm. died and he hung himself apparently. And uh, he died after the girlfriend left a few weeks ago his house. And uh, well, it's, it's, it's riddled with inconsistencies. And they're saying that he couldn't have hung himself because he was 5'9" tall and the, the ceiling itself was only six feet tall so there's no space as such I mean this is just too many theories right so now so they're saying someone murdered him is that what they're saying now? yes so the idea the postulation wow. is that the girlfriend might be responsible but see again that's that's another thing maybe she is I, I don't know the media trial mm-hmm. right now definitely uh, it, it did work in one way I would give it credit for that that the over sensationalization mm-hmm. made it 
reach the CBI, the case will have, and the case had enough inconsistencies for the for the public and for the family of the deceased to um, be wary of some hidden conspiracy because there might very well be a hidden conspiracy. But today I was watching uh, the news and the entire argument changed into how um, uh, he was being dosed with MDMA and he was trying LSD and he was trying CBD. And I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Because the news, obviously, the these people don't know much about um, substances yeah. much. So for them yeah, to yeah. now take sole authority over everything that uh, would that the public should be aware of and for them to muddle mm-hmm. these facts, you know, to talk about um, substances in in a way that they might have contributed to his demise or he was part of some drug ring because for them it's for Indian media everything is a drug I mean it doesn't matter if it's CBD <clears throat> or if it's LSD yeah, yeah. or whatever it is everything thing. is a drug while they're popping their crocin every night and having a paracetamol every <laughs> other day so everything is a drug for them so yeah. now the case is very very muddled and now I'm not really sure what take I want to take on that particular case because now I can't really say that the media is doing uh, a good job as well. They were, of course, still last week, but now it just seems too, too, uh, too controversial to even make up my mind about it. Too much information, you know. Can't process all of that. What does it look like? Well, it oh, like definitely the, looks like. With an objective mind, what does it look like? It looks like murder. Yes, it looks like a conspiracy to. Uh, well, there might be big names involved, so I'm not really going to get too much into it. But it does does look like murder. The guy was... Uh, and the guy might have been someone uh, like us as well. He definitely suffered from some, some form of clinical depression or the other. But he was a fascinating fellow. He was interested in uh, metaphysics. He was interested in uh, Vedic sciences. He was interested in spirituality. He was, he yeah, was I, well, I, I was seeing stuff of him talking about stuff. He looked like such a cool guy, full yeah, of life was. and full of like yeah, joy yeah, yeah. And, and interest. That's what that's what puzzled me about it because I, I don't know too much about this case, but what what I did, what I did read up on, what I did see, like he didn't look like the kind of person. But then again, you never know. Like that's you really never know what someone's going through inside and how, how the, the 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 leaps leaps they're willing to take to to cope with whatever they're going through. It's, True, right? it's, it's, a, it's difficult. It's very difficult because we all we all suppress a lot of things within us. And that's, and that's kind of the, the process, I guess, you know, people take with spirituality and all. It's kind of like mm. getting rid of this weight that you keep on top of yourself. But it just, I don't, I mean, on the surface, I can say at least it didn't look like that. It didn't I look know, like- I know, I know, I know what you mean. And I think that is another matter of concern uh, for the Indian media where mental health is an issue that they are, uh, they tackle very childishly. They think that just because a person mm. looks happy on the outside. I mean, we have Robin Williams, Jim Carrey, comedians. Comedians and, you know, uh, tragedy, I think, of any kind. I think for him, it was his mother's death, which really, really shattered the guy. Because if you look at his Instagram posts, oh. and things like that, yeah, his mother's death really, really moved him. I think tragedy of any kind is a very, very potent creative tool, but it can also sure. drown you in the pits of abyss and you can't come out of it. It's a, it's a difficult, it's very difficult, man, because it's, it's very easy on the surface to give someone advice, you know, get through it, life will be okay, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. But when you're dealing with heavy emotions within yourself and you really, really, like, it's, it's so overpowering and so overwhelming and you're not in a place to think through this through. You're not in a place to make sense of this. You're just in a place of, of very, very negative and, 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 and like, I would say painful mm. ex- expressions within yourself. And a lot of people don't, 
hopelessness. Yeah, hopelessness, no, no sense of any kind of joy, no sense mm. of, of recovery from this. Mm. And a lot of these scars never get healed and a lot of people just carry it with them for so long. And eventually they just don't want to live with it anymore because they, they, it's like you're, you're carrying so much weight Damn. on your back. You just, you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to do it anymore and you just lose the will. And I guess, I mean, I, I understand how some people can get pushed to that level mm. and that's, what's important. That's, what's important to not, I, I would always say, don't deal with mental health issues after they're an issue. Like it's, mm. we should mm. be preparing people ahead of time. You should be, we should be equipped with, with, with the, with the mental strength and, and, and the management of within yourself to be able to face these things as they come. Like if, if you know, they're coming, you know, I right, prepare myself. I got, the, I got to go through this. But a lot of times you're like, you know, if life's going well, you get caught off guard. You're not ready for this. You're you're really, really not prepared. And no matter how good things are going, because, you know, you look at, you know, um, so many, so many celebrities, almost people like, you know, like the guy from Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington, Mm -hmm. you know, um, Chris Cornell, all these people like you look at these people like, wow, you had everything. How could you have ever done this? But you don't know what they're going through. You don't know what the world inside of them is like for them. You're thinking they have money you didn't have, or they have a car you didn't have, or they have a big house that you don't have. You have the things I want, so you should be happy. Mm. Well, maybe you'll also find out that when you have those things, you won't be happy yes, either. You won't be happy. That's, that's very true. That's very resonating. Um, it's very cathartic that you're talking about it. Um, because I, of course, I have battled clinical depression for extended periods of time. And I think that there is something about the creative brain uh, that predisposes you to that. I think uh, to be creative, you have to really draw. See, that's again, one of the reasons why you would see the best psychologists and the best uh, psychiatrists in the world and the best philosophers in the world as well. They suffer from clinical depression themselves. Jordan Peterson became very famous for the last two years. Look at his life. It's in shambles. The guy's yeah, yeah. in shambles right now because you draw mm-hmm. from your own misery and you try to, um, and you try to, find the archetypes of the similar of, of a similar misery in others and that's how you deduce a person's personality by drawing examples yeah. from yourself you know uh, what works for you is what you recommend to other people but first you got to try it with yourself it has, to, it has to be real to you yes very true and that's and I, that's transmittable like that you know you know when someone's speaking to you when they know what they're talking about mm. and you know when they're regurgitating things that they've heard from somewhere else you know, like, you know, like you're, you're, you're narrating a meme you might have read somewhere, you know, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Cool. Okay. But it's like, I mean, how am I supposed to apply this? The most optimistic people that you will ever find in life that I've ever found in life have been the most hollow people because they give you the most hollow advice and it's absolutely pointless. <laughs> life, at the, be happy, yeah. be positive, be joyful. That's a very difficult thing. It's not like a switch you can turn on and off that all right, I'm so, happy today. So my, 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 my question would be like, what do you think drove you towards um like you said you had clinical depression and all like outside of the incident itself like what kind of pathway did you go down that actually made you find yourself in that place Hmm. well that's um an expansive answer but i had a difficult childhood Uh, i mean uh, we grew up in a joint family and uh, i mean Mm -hmm. we had a lot of issues i wouldn't say some a lot of issues and my father was quite often uh, traveling. So, uh, you know, I was in a joint family with my mother alone, a, a woman who's come from a different family. And, and of course, the things that happen in Indian joint families. So I had a relatively traumatic childhood. And that, that trauma sort of uh, just, just lingered on, just lingered on. And I suppressed it because that's what ADHD is inherently. You suppress it with anger, with rage. Yeah. 
you know, with with melancholy, you suppress it and you keep it. You bottle it down. You bottle it down. You bottle it down. You bottle it down for as long as you possibly can. And then it starts manifesting in very nasty ways uh, once your brain starts is is properly developed in your late teens, in your early twenties. Mm-hmm. That's when I found myself to be the at the absolute bottomless pit, and I could not, for the life of me, come out. And one of the things that definitely helped me was uh, was love. I mean, it it really uh, is a transcendental force, and it doesn't really limit it to romantic love. But any form of love can really help uh, mm. with pulling you out of it. For example, for me, it was always the love and the fascination for nature. I loved traveling. I went to the woods. I stayed in the woods. I, you know, animals were always something that I found very, very, very close affinity to. So, that fascination is what really. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say that it's that I'm entirely all right. Of course, meditation is helping, and meditation does help substantially. Yeah. But that feeling never really leaves. You know, it, it's recurrent. It's cyclical, and it, it, it mm. comes with seasons sometimes. And sometimes it comes with life incidences, uh, but but it's it's always there at the back of your head. And tragedy uh, or depression, uh, tragedy is the reason for depression, is a very fascinating topic because it's a tool for spiritual enlightenment as well. If you look at any spiritual figure in life, all of them have had some form of tragedy or the other. You look at Christ, I mean, the guy was crucified and betrayed by his sure. own friend. Uh, yeah. Shiva's wife died, Sati died, so he became mad. He became mad and yeah. he carried it around. Um, for eons, um, till till mm. she was severed into pieces, and uh, then he became a recluse. I, I think Shiva is a very good archetype. Then he became a recluse, and he went to the mountain. He's like, I don't want to give, I don't want to do anything with the world. I want to stay far away from the world as far as I can possibly be. And then his redemption was love. It was Parvati. Mm. So there is something mm. about love that that helps you cope with this. But the, the only problem if, if you're willing to navigate through it. Yes, 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 and you got to be fine with um, uh, with with uh, letting it come of its own accord instead of chasing it. Because once you start chasing it, it's a never-ending process. Once you start yeah. chasing love, ooh, that's an addiction, one yeah, after the other. Yeah. All right, now I like this. Now I like that. Now I like this. Blondes, all right. Redheads, now. Well, so, I th- I think that's also a our our um I would say misconception, or. Our, our overgeneralization of the word love, you know, because we, because we, I think we call love anything that's a, that's a, that has to do with somebody else. Most usually a, a, a someone of the opposite gender that you're in a relationship mm-hmm. with or something like mm-hmm. that. But you, you call that love because it's a sense of, I would say this positive sense of connectivity with someone it's so overwhelmingly positive and full of light that you just call it love, right? And but we we what we do there is we make it a conditional experience that requires somebody else and comes with a huge set of expectations that they're going to be the source of it, and it, it seems to be something you receive and not something you share. Mm. And that's where the addiction becomes. You become addicted to a source of love, not realizing that it's yourself. And, and, and not like, again, like that's not to be all like, you know, too hippie or something like that, but for you to feel the love, you have had to generate the chemicals within yourself. You've had to generate the experience to feel it. You generated, maybe someone else prompted you to generate someone this experience. Exactly, as a catalyst. Your... Yes, very good, very true. Exactly. 
But if you realize that even if someone else prompted you, like for example, let's say you want to like back to the physique thing. If you want to make a very good, big, powerful body, right? You can get yourself a trainer and the trainer can force you to do all these things and pick it up and do this thing. But it's you that did the work. Mm. You picked the thing up. You put it back down. No you one woke up in the morning. You mm. didn't want to wake up. You ate the meals. You, 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 you made sure your water intake was right and the supplementation and you, you put the work in. So don't say the trainer did everything for you. They guided you to it. But you, through this experience, should also realize that you could have done this yourself. In fact, you did do this yourself. You just used someone to help you. But this true, the, the true thing that you've generated out of this was within you. Mm. This was all you. And, and even the fact that you went to get a trainer was you. That's, that's, that's all your own experience. So we do this with love as well, is that we think that this is, a someone, this is someone else's responsibility to make me feel loved. This is someone else's responsibility to, to, to open this connection between us, but it's, it's you. And when you really realize that, when you really understand, not just in a concept, when you experience this as a way you live your life, love is everything. You can feel the same love you feel for your parents, you feel for your, your girlfriend or your wife, or you, you feel for your siblings or you feel for your friends. You can feel it for a little bird on a tree. You can feel mm. it for a flower. That's, you, you can feel, you can generate the experience you, mm. ge you normally generate only under these set circumstances with anything. And that's what it is. That's what this blissful state, that's what yogis are trying to become. Mm -hmm. That's what the spiritual practices are, are trying to get you to. Anand. So take yeah, Anand. It's trying to take you from the concept of it to the experience of it. Mm -hmm. So that this is just the way you live your life. So there is no sorrow here. There's mm -hmm. no depression. There's no such thing. There's no life. There's no death. It, it's all just an experience. It all is a constant thing. And, and the love is just the thing. It's like, a, it's like the fabric that binds it all together. You know what I mean? And, and that's what people lack is, is they, they, they're looking for other people to do this for them. Have you seen this... Uh... Uh, what's it called? The Weisland uh, series called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. What's it? Yeah, 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 of course. Dude. Oh, I love that guy, man. Dude, season two, there's this, uh, the five, the toad, the five MEODMT. Dude, I've seen that one, the yeah. guy trips out and all that he says is love. There's something. That's it. Very... I've seen that one. He's the most in guy I've ever seen in my life. Like he goes, he just goes, I'm in. I don't know. I'm here. I'm in. Let's do this. Like if he has fear, he has, he has, he has doubts, but he does it. And, but I, I like that because it's such a, it's such a, a scientific, logical approach to the world of psychedelics and, 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 and narcotics and substances and stuff like that. Because he, he wants, he's interested not in the, the, the vice of it, to, mm -hmm. to use the name of the actual, The chemistry uh, of it. Why does it work? Why does it do that? Yeah. How does it do that? And the effects it has on the, on the body. Mm -hmm. But that was a good episode. The, the, the I, I loved it, very man. The eyes roll back and I'm like, this looks very reminiscent of uh, a yogic trance-like state. It, it's very yeah. reminiscent. Rolling back. Just have very you, immediate. Yeah. I mean, have you heard of people who've tried uh, or accomplished Kundalini yogas? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I believe that that experience... Because uh, you'll you'll also um, hear people say they've had similar experiences with psychedelics. Yeah, that's they've, they've they've done DMT or they've done psilocybin mushrooms or LSD and they've had spiritual awakenings or as they as they claim at least. And then you also hear people who've taken the strict um, devotional 
I would say spiritual work of it. Not maybe not a, not necessarily religious approach, but mm. a more spiritual science approach to this. Mm. And gone through the, the 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 actual steps of it. I noticed that the people that actually went down the road of devotion, the road of discipline, the road of learning about this as they go, and then gener learning to generate the experiences on your own. Mm. You're also taking control of like the chemical factory that your body is, mm. in a sense. You're like, you're taking control. You, you have realized that any psychedelic that you're, t you're taking, your body can produce the same, chem the same chemicals within yeah. itself. You've got receptors for a reason. Exactly. So if, if you can't key. produce it, if you can't produce it, the, the nature definitely won't be able to mm. uh, enhance it for you. Like if you didn't have cannabinoid receptors, smoking weed's not going to do anything for anything you. At the all. fact that you have the receptors means you have the ability to create the cannabinoids in your system mm. to mm. receive. And the same thing with DMT. It's produced in your, in your brain. It's produced in your liver. It's produced in your lungs. Um, I'm not sure if your body produces psilocybin. Um, but it has the receptors. I'm sure it, mm. it produces similar experiences somehow or, or another. But, the, the, but what I understand is that the people that do this on their own, there's so much more of a, I would say, a, a, of, a, of a toolbox they've gained along the way mm. of, of self-management, of emotions, of mind, of, of all these things, of, of a comprehension of, of your chemical factories and a mm. com, 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 comprehension of how to manage all these things within yourself. So it actually shows in the way they live their life. Mm. And on the other end, you see people with the psychedelic experiences, no doubt that it actually impacts their life positively for, mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, they, maybe they let go of their traumas and mm -hmm. they let go of the, the, the blockages that they had. and they kind Years of, of therapy in a few hours. Yeah, yeah. You're given experiences that you could not have generated on your own in mm -hmm. that state that you were in and comprehend rather, not even let alone generate. Mm -hmm. And for those people, you can't, discredit them and you can't just discredit shamanism you can't discredit mm. the ancient practices that people have been have been taking with psychedelic substances as well but it's always been in a controlled ritualistic environment and mm. it was not about the substance as much as it was the ritual and how the ritual can change the way you are in life mm. so that's the, that's this new thing that i'm noticing with this new wave of psychedelics it's mm -hmm. like a new wave of, of a hippie era it is we're it going is, back yeah. to the 60s mm. and it's positive in, in a lot of senses, but I think it's something that we need to grasp that these things should be used in a very, very controlled, say, con controlled and, and understood ways. Mm. And there's not enough research and there's not enough actual knowledge about this out there openly. You have mm. to really dig deep. Mm. So people are just jumping in and going to festivals, you know, going to these places. It's a, it is the a worst place you can things. take LSD is in, an, in a festival or mushrooms in a festival. That's the worst place. Absolutely. It's absolutely. And, if you're, if you're going to use them, that's what I say. I'm not one to tell people you should go jump to psychedelics for mm. seeking enlightenment because I don't at all truly believe that's the way to go. Mm. Uh, and and, and I, in my experience, they'll give you a, uh, they will open certain, I would say, faculties within yourself. Mm. They, they bring to light certain things. They generate experiences that mm. were very alien to you. Mm. And it's not, a, it's not a numbing experience. It's not mm. a distant experience. In fact, it's a more connected overwhelming experience it's more real than real at times absolutely that's and that's what a, most people will tell you it's like mm. that was the most real thing i've ever been through in my life mm -hmm. was a psychedelic experience it almost makes this look less real it, does, but it sounds it does. crazy w when you haven't experienced them you're like mm. what are you talking about it sounds, it sounds like a crash eyes everywhere <laughs> but 
but the truth of it is, is that I, I have to say, uh, and it's a, I guess it's a less popular opinion in the psychedelic community, but you're, the more richer way to go about this is without them. And if you must use them, if you're going to use them anyway, if you're not going to listen to anybody, then do use them, but make sure you're using them with the correct intention. You're trying mm. to get the most you can out of it. Now and it's not the actual, yeah, it's not the actual psychedelic experience you're chasing as much as how it can positively impact your life after mm -hmm. because then you get addicted to the experience the mm. substance is itself like psilocybin doesn't have addictive qualities true uh, you know lsd doesn't is you don't really get addicted to it dmt definitely not in fact a lot of people are very nervous to take it again because oh, yeah, it's not yeah. a fun you euphoric wow lolly it can be it's traumatic as, as, as hell and it can lead scary. you down a very very <laughs> scary path it can bring dormant mental issues as well schizophrenia and all of that that's People true as well. Novels. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's not something that should be very taken lightly either. Mm -hmm. it's not, it's a lot of people can be be very benefited from this, but mm -hmm. a lot of times you, out, like one out of 10 people like, wow, all these nine people seem to be doing so well. I should take it too. And then it just Love unlocks that. something that should, mm -hmm. shouldn't have been touched. You, this, this, it, it brought out the worst parts of you because mm -hmm. this has been suppressed. So you went there to do expand but you actually got, are more limited now because of this experience and you never mm -hmm. some people never recover from it they do some people never recover from it i or know people might, personally ptsd yeah, ke I know yeah people you take lsd you think you have wings and jump off buildings and stuff like that like it happens some people i i can't comprehend doing something like that under mm -hmm. that influence but some people will and and that's why i'm saying it's not something that should just be spread out to, in, in all good faith and everybody take it put it in the water supply everybody will be mm -hmm. enlightened tomorrow that's just not that, that's silly not how that's a very childish way to look at it that's a very very childish yeah, way but, but some but that's some people do because they're not given the guidance and that's the problem with making these substances illegal mm -hmm. is that People are going to take what they want anyway, anyway, but you're also going to not allow people to be taking them under the correct circumstances and mm. the correct guidance mm -hmm. and be pushed in the right direction. You know, like how, are you, how can you make a mushroom that grows out of cow shit illegal? Mm -hmm. Like you can't. Like you or can't. a weed for, for that reason. Yeah, exactly. And you can't tell that this, there's something druggy, druggy about this. Like this, this mushroom has existed millions of years before a human mm. being has existed. Who are you? I mean, just to govern what a person exactly. that naturally grows puts or doesn't put in their body. Exactly. So we are, I would say, at least biologically designed to be mm. receptive to this experience. Mm -hmm. And when you have this experience, you understand, like, until you have it, you won't get it. But when you have it, you understand this is beyond your ability to imagine. Imagine. Like, yes, very true. Mm -hmm. If you were to take a hallucinogen and be like, okay, if you had to imagine this experience and your you imagination can't. came true, you'd make more relatable experiences. Mm. There would still be forms, human-like forms and building-like forms and mm -hmm. maybe nature and trees and flowers and waterfalls and rainbows, or you'll make something that you've referenced before. You can't imagine something you have not yet it's seen. It's abstract. It's entirely it's abstract. Completely abstract. So that is the reason most people are able to be, uh, are able to understand or be convinced that this experience is beyond the realms of your imagination. Mm -hmm. This is on its own. This is a dimension of sorts of its own. And hence beyond the reaches of your mind, it might be something else yes. that you tap into. And a lot of times you lose your mind, like mm -hmm. you lose your identity. You, you mm -hmm. don't have an identity anymore. You don't have your mind anymore. And a lot of people are uncomfortable. Like put it, put it experience, like where's my identity? Who am I? It doesn't matter who you are, but that's the same. It goes hand in hand with the meditational experiences because mm -hmm. that is what you're seeking. You're, you're seeking 
destroying this attachment to your sense of self, destroying this attachment to the fluctuations of your mind. You're trying to uh, uh, you're not destroy it, but I would say at least learn to separate yourself from it, create mm. the distance to understand that you need to shed these things. Again, back to the old analogy, the off switch. There's off switches for these things and on switches for these things. And when you're able to go through these, like peel through these layers of who you are, when you finally get to the core, these similar experiences are generated because these sim similar chemicals are generated within your body when you reach this state. So mm -hmm. that's why all these psychedelics are always go in hand with spirituality. That's what people, spirit, a lot of these new age spiritual people are very, very frequently with their use of psychedelics because that's where it leads them to eventually. It will eventually lead you down if, if it all goes well, it'll lead you down some form of a spiritual path, but you will eventually realize you don't need it. Mm, very true. Very, 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 very true. And I, and I firmly agree with you on, on that one. I do not think it is something that should be taken lightly. And it's not something for experience seekers. It is definitely for someone yeah. who's seeking something greater than experience or the devoid mm. nature of experience, because quite a few trips would literally kill you. You would die. And you would come back later and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I was dead for a, for a little while. Yeah, it's very, sure. very strange for people to experience that. They come back and some people don't forget that. They think that this is the illusion and they got to rid themselves 100%. of this. 100%. And that's the, that, I think, but that's what gives people that, that sense of more to life. Because if you mm -hmm. feel like you've died, and that, a lot of times people have near-death experiences and stuff like that. They say that they've, they met God. They, they, they saw something. Mm -hmm. And then they, in all sense, they probably did. It's probably real, but mm. a lot of it also attributes to their body producing these chemicals in those high-stress environments. So you have similar experiences. A lot of people I know personally that say that have had near-death experiences and also done psychedelics, and like it's basically the same thing. Like it's, like, I mean, especially like DMT and things like that. But like it's basically the the same thing. Where like just you, at least at some point, make peace with the fact that you've died. Or, or at least something that that's over, but you're in this other, I would say, really? abstract experience yeah. that seems so much more um, vibrant and infinite than the world you were, were in before. So it's not like there's nothing after you die. It's not like, okay, I, I died, but nothing happens. In fact, more happens than it was already happening. So then when you come back from it, maybe it gives a lot of people a sense of peace that, okay, after death, there is something because you realize that in this experience, the last thing I needed was my body, my mm. mind, my identity. All those mm. things were gone, in fact. I was left with my awareness and my perception, and I was navigating this spirit. So you, you, it's almost like you're left down to whatever you think your soul is, or whatever they call your soul. That's all you're left with, in, in that experience at least, or something, something um, relatable to what that is called. That's all you're left with in the end. And you're still very much present, very much alive and very much there just in this other abstract dimension of some sorts. Mm -hmm. So you really get to understand that, okay, I didn't need anything in my body to go through that experience. In fact, I let it all go. So maybe that is something after I die. Maybe it kind of gives you that sense of comfort, at least mm -hmm. uh, suffering losses of loved ones and all like that. Like, you know, you need to know that there is something they've gone something through. Beyond that. You want to know... You want to know that if someone you love, something you loved has, has died, you want to know that it's still on its journey somehow. They're still on their journey. They're still 
going on somewhere. They're going to change form and get new bodies and their new experiences. And they're going to, they're in an, they're in an evolution of sorts. And, and in a way, it was selfish of you to, to want them to stay with you the whole time and mm-hmm. be there. They, they have a thing to do and they're, they're, they're on their own time as well. So, but when you, when you can understand that you're happy no matter what, because there is no true death in that sense. It's just shedding of, of these different phases and different chapters of your life. And, and sometimes it's brief, sometimes it's long. There is, and time isn't relative in the long run. But mm. in the end, you know that there's a constant journey every soul in, in some sense is going through. So that's, that's happy. That's positive in a way. There is no bad. If you're in a bad place, you're on your way to somewhere better. Like that's, that's just how it is, you know? But psychedelics offer that kind of comfort to people as well. But then the, so does the spiritual practices as very, well. Very beautifully put. Very beautifully put. I think um, it's one of those things that if the podcast was big enough, I would have cropped this little monologue of yours and posted it as a JRF clips. Very, very well put and very, very insightful. And I do think from what you say, I think people, especially people who are terminally ill and people who have lost people in their life and they can't cope with it. And it's been a long time they've been trying to cope with it. I think those people would benefit the most from an experience like that. For sure. Terminally ill people, I definitely think should. I believe, I believe I was speaking to someone that was very, I think they were psychologists or at least studying psychology. And they were talking to me about how, they're they're looking into using MDMA, I think. I think it's MDMA, mm. but for pe- for people who are like terminally ill mm. to cope with themselves and the loved one of coping with this experience of death they're about to face. So it it it, it reduces your I would say your fear, mm. uh, your, your your fear receptors in some sense, and you're you're not as as afraid as emotional. You're you're more able to cope with this experience i'm not i'm not um you know just saying that that's what we should do but i'm just saying that I, I think there are looking into it to use these things in that way and again in these controlled environments under the right circumstances right context i would see tremendous benefit in someone who just needs to cope with you know mm. their parent dying or their loved one dying or someone dying and they just mm. they're not going to recover from this their whole life so maybe under a clinical environment give introduce them yes. a temporary influx of substances that should be readily available everywhere else but at least they're able to confront it and they're also how much more comfort will you get seeing the person that's about to die comfortable with it mm-hmm. happy about it able mm-hmm. to accept it that gives you the comfort if you see them scared if you see them emotional if you see them fearful of what's happening after and then they they go you're going to be traumatized by this they as do. well a lot of people don't have the strength don't have the ability to go through these situations mm-hmm. very true so, very true in these senses, we, we do have able, ways to work temporarily help people through these situations. But then there's also, you're also subject to misuse because it's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult situation. As with everything. You, mm. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's, always, there's always a seesaw with that. There's always some good with the bad and some bad with the good. But Speaking about it's, MDMA, it's interesting. I, oh, please, please go ahead. Sorry, you were saying. No, that was it. <laughs> Speaking about MDMA... Um, you know, I, I found one thing very, very uh, fascinating about all these substances, actually. I think they're just rebranded uh, by chemistry under these names. I think they've always existed. For example, MDMA is nothing but the love hormone. I mean, it increases serotonin and dopamine levels and I think norepinephrine or something like that. But oh, it really? really, yeah, I mean, it makes you feel like um, it doesn't necessarily make you sexually aroused, but it uh, makes you feel this, this love, this overflowing love. That's why it's called the love chemical. That's why it's so popular in parties. But yeah. throughout, have you tried it? 
I don't know, man. I I don't want to say. I know. I have never tried it. Neither have I. Neither have I. To be honest, I haven't. I've tried psychedelics, of yeah. course. Uh, yeah. But no, no, not not this. But from what I've heard about people, and um, it it lays parallel because I was talking to this person the other day, and there's this very strange thing that if you really, uh, you know, sit down and think about it, that we've had uh, similar substances that we've spoken about throughout cultures. For example, the love potion that was very popular in medieval ages. You know, you could give it to someone, yeah, and someone yeah. would fall in love with you. But there's obviously a chemical component to a drink sure. that someone drinks, and they fall in love with you. so of course modern chemistry narrows it down to um, you know narrows it down to to the classification of of drugs and this and that but i think throughout ages uh, they didn't have this very uh, bifurcated uh, classification i think potions and alchemy alchemy of course the precursor of chemistry yeah. was a mixture of magic and science that's what it was sure. magic and science everything we do now is magic to ancient times you it know is, it is the things we could do and put together chemistry is magic man i mean uh, you take something solid and you turn it into water and then you turn it into gas and you reverse it you take the gas you turn it into water and you turn it into solid for it's sure it's bloody magic man and yes for, sure. uh, for for this reason i think this guy is very very fascinating for people who haven't watched this i don't even know how to pronounce the last thing hamilton's pharmacopoeia 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 i think pharmacopoeia pharmacopoeia i think sure You go, I mean, people got to watch that series. He's yeah, yeah, absolutely. He addresses it. Yeah, because that's that's the, what I like about it is he's actually mm. taking a clinical approach to this. He's mm. trying to understand what these substances are, how they can be used, you know, what what are the benefits of them. It's there. It's medicine of some sorts. Mm. You know, mm. it's good to have these things at our disposal. It's good to have research and understanding of these things, not just you know, um, not, not just not just saying that they're bad and, and demonizing all these substances, but understand them you know use them in controlled environments help people cope with their issues but more but more so also understand that you know not not leading people prone to misuse not leaving people prone to just seeking the the thrill of the experience and and make them seek it as a solution to a problem that you have but in the end it's just it's just a temporary solution like it, you have to still do work you have it has to be incorporated with the psychological angles you have to tackle yourself with and understand yourself it's not just take the thing and you're okay you know that's not how it works i mean i it, it, i'd like to believe that and i'm sure a lot of people would but maybe it will give you better insight on your depression it'll give you a better understanding of your emotions and why you're holding them and how you're holding them for sure but that doesn't that's not to discredit the fact that you still have very 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 like solidified pathways of your of your own pattern of behavior that you're going to follow and if you maybe maybe this psychedelic experience shakes it up a little bit for mm-hmm. now six months a year you're all feeling good you know you only had one experience but you're feeling better you got mm-hmm. insight but you're gonna go once once that that oh that that river starts flowing again you're very you're, the current will sweep you up mm-hmm. and a lot of people microdose um psilocybin yes what is the for, deal about that i i don't know much about it and i would really like your opinion on that one how does it work so, what does it happen what, what happens in it so microdosing is basically what they do is they take smaller dosages around in the one or 0.01 gram range tiny 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 Rice there's green. no noticeable mm-hmm. yeah there's no noticeable um effects of it and what it does is i mean um, this is i'm just regurgitating the mm-hmm. the uh scientific evidence mm-hmm. that people have presented but it basically the psilocybin 
loosens up the neurological pathways in your brain and, and gives you the uh, ability to create new ones or, or recreate ones of the way you're function, functioning. So you'll see, you'll see like testimonies of people who are, let's say, in, let's, um, I remember I was watching something about this guy who was doing uh, mixed, uh, I think kickboxing or mixed martial arts. Mm. And he was saying that, you know, the, the patterns of him realizing people's moves and stuff like that, it's almost like you were predicting moves before they were coming because you're starting to pick up on people's patterns. Like, like, something like, like some sort of a pre-cognition. Yes. And, and people trying to learn new languages, people trying to, to learn new skills, new traits. You, 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 you take a period of time, a couple months, and you microdose, and it loosens up your brain's ability to create neurological pathways so you could create new habits, right? You're able to form new habits and new, new, uh, add new skills with a, a little bit more ease than you would have been able to um, normally, right? Because you're still fighting your old habits as well. Mm -hmm. But that sounds good. But now again, if you're not taking a conscious approach to this, you can also make new bad habits. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if you decide I'm going to microdose, but then start smoking cigarettes at the same time, you're mm. going to be an addicted smoker now you're, mm. because you're, now you've opened a new pathway. You're, mm. you're, it doesn't know what's good or bad for you. It's just following mm. the new patterns. So you have to also, I guess, like strategically change your routine. You have to change the, the way you, do, you navigate your day and the way you navigate your activities, the time you give into them, knowing that you, you've loosened up your brain's ability to, to create new, new habits and, and, and form new ways of functioning. So people take them for that matter. I think it's very popular in the tech industry, Silicon mm. Valley, and all these things as well. A lot of people are taking them for coding. What I don't understand about microdosing is, is it limited to mushrooms? I mean, I, I know about uh, acid and mushrooms, you know, uh, LSD and mushrooms. What else can people, or what else do people use for microdosing? I'm honestly not sure. I've only really heard of it in the context of, of uh, psilocybin mushrooms. mushrooms. And, uh, and LSD. Um, I know about the tabs that they cut the tabs into tiny little I, Yeah, I think, I think they do LSD as well. Um, I, think, I think mushrooms would be a better road to go if you're going to do that just because mm. of the fact that mycelium and fungi itself is a very network-based yeah, life form very true very true and, and you know what i mean so 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 you want that intelligence and 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 that i guess a recognizable pattern that the, that the networks follow because if you look at like networks of mycelium uh, underground and stuff like that that's the networks of our blood vessels and networks of our neurons you know like mm. the, the way our, our inside of our body also looks the same. It's almost like it follows the same uh, vibrational frequency that creates that pattern. So that I think that it may be my, a more recognizable approach because actually this is, a, this is something that a lot of people find surprising as, as I did when I first heard it, that we are closer related to mushrooms oh, yeah. than mushrooms are to plants. True. So we're, we're closer relative to a mushroom than a mushroom is to a, a tree. So the, the network, we, uh, the network based life form intelligence that a mushroom follows, we've essentially in a way evolved from that, from that life form, that similar DNA. So it's relatable to us. And, and acid on the other end is a man-made substance made in the forties, I believe. I think it was Shulgin Hoff, made Hoffman. Hoffman? I don't know. I don't know. I, History I of psychedelics is riddled with a lot of. I, I I pulled that name out of my ass. I'm not sure where it came from. <laughs> but this is but, this is yes, very very fascinating. I think that's also one of the reasons why people um, uh, who move to a vegetarian diet sometimes find that mushroom is the closest thing that they can get to meat when they used to eat meat. Texture-wise, it's very very similar sometimes. Yeah, if you actually you know what I like is um, lion's mane, lion's mm. mane mushrooms actually 
really mimic the, or, or I would say absorb the flavors of seafood. So if you actually substitute seafood dishes with lion's mane mushrooms, they really give you, they, they really mimic those qualities. Like, like fishy or like lobster was like? Uh, more like a crab, lobster. Okay. Um, a little sweet, salty salt. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it goes well with that. I, I mean, I have been, I've been vegetarian for about three years now. Mm. So I really, and I really like to use mushrooms a lot and, you know, like, and kind of substitute those mm. dishes I would, I would normally enjoy when I was eating meat mm. with these mushrooms because they do take that, that uh, absorb the flavor and create that quality. Same as jackfruit as well. Mm. Mm. Jackfruit is a very good substitute for that and nutritious. That's, um, I mean, of course, we got really, really sidetracked. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but we started what I was interested in, what I would want to go back and see the ADHD. Well, originally, uh, we were talking about how we met. We, yes, yes, yes. So, so that's how we met. And then, um, you know, so I moved towards, I uh, after it. leaving school, <laughs> I moved towards, uh, I think, wildlife. I joined WWF, but you moved uh, to the States. And yeah. um, what was your aim? Why did you move to the States? That's also something that I've been very, uh, I mean, we didn't speak for very, very long. We only started speaking last year. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, I mean, I, I, I need to reiterate, I was terrible at school. Very, mm. <laughs> very, very bad. I was phenomenally bad at school. Mm. Like I was so good at being bad at it. And I realized very quickly after I finished school that I'm not really an academic style kind of guy. I'm not, so I'm not really doing this college thing and I'm not, did you go to college? No. Yeah, but I, didn't. Out, yeah. I didn't. I mean, uh, correspondence I, I didn't either. Uh, uh, I didn't I either. Because I, 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 I think that if you go, you something new, what happens in life? No, no, I The thing is, like, I wouldn't have gone in India, first of all. I had no grades or that's the thing the the mark the cutoffs and the and the ability to get into these colleges you need you need to be so so like i'll say outstanding of a student to actually get into a reputable college and actually get a good education but if not you're just going to do some kind of you know bullshit course here and there just to, like just for the namesake of it just to just to basically tell your 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 friends parents what you're doing you have to have that so I, I, I came here and I, I mean, first I took a, like a, I could say a year or two gap after my, uh, after I graduated or graduated, but I finished my, 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 uh, my 12th grade. And I realized that, I don't even know how I passed. I really <laughs> but I, I realized that it's just not, I'm not going to really do anything in India because of the way, the mind frame I was in as well. Because mm. I was really into this, you know, this Velagiri, Gadi Me Ghumo, this club, that club, just do the same stuff every day because no one has anything to do. Mm. So, I got very comfortable with that routine. 
and I didn't have, and there's also the sense of comfort when you come from, like, even if you're from a decent family in India, you're very comfortable at home. Mm, in the Western you. worlds, I feel like you're, you're pressured to do something a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But in India, there's no, there's no discrimination. Exactly. Your parents want you because also we come from a, we come from a culture where this, this joint family and living within your home is accepted. And it's very, it's honestly, I like that. I liked it. the parents and the kids and the grandparents everyone lives together oh, yeah. it's a yeah, community yeah. but that isn't in the modern world so it's kind of like when you're 18 19 it's time to leave it's time to go get out of the bird's nest and find your own life but i realized i'm getting comfortable in delhi and i'm not really going to do anything and i'm like it took me a year to to be honest with myself but i i look back and like yeah to kuch nahi hone wala mera like i'm not thinking i have no mindset to do anything i'm like i just need change and i kept feeling it more and more and i got less and less comfortable with just being vela going in the cars mm-hmm. you know here this that doing nothing just i, I party the, this club that club this bar that bar like it just it got very stagnant and i stopped doing it so i just started sitting home a lot i wasn't going out i would just sit in my room all day even my friends you know like i mean we didn't really hang out that much but it, like you ask all, like our mutual friends now that i mm-hmm. hung out with i just I, i didn't leave they couldn't get me to go anywhere like zaroor padega kar raha ഫി They, they definitely saw my school thing and they, they, they had their most of them like, you are an idiot. You, you, you cannot, you haven't, you keep failing, you keep doing stuff, but they also do a very street smart. They know I'm mm-hmm. good at, you put me in a situation, I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. So they knew I just needed to go. So thankfully I was born in the state. So I had the citizenship and everything. Mm-hmm. So I was able to just, you know, get on a plane and come to New York. I didn't really have a plan. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do. I didn't have a goal. I didn't have a mission. I'm just like I just got to go and I got to go figure it out. So I I came here and you know here 8 years later I figured it out. How did you figure it out? What were the what so, was the path that you took? What was the occupation? Right. Because your occupation so, so, is going to be of particular interest to a lot of people at least in India. Oh, yeah, they yeah. would be like yeah. Kya? Well, I mean that, that it, it didn't start it didn't start that way, but mm. initially my idea was I'm going to become well to to, to add back story to it. New York I chose because you know the media and shows and movies they sell america so well and they sell new york even better you know, i had friends and how i met your mother and all these shows you're like man that is the life hanging out with your friends your bars your you know coffee shops your everyone just talking open like you know it's like a family i'm like yeah that's the kind of life you want to live you get you get to new york like oh that's a scam <laughs> the whole thing's a scam like, nothing like that mera, nothing like the movies mera, ജോസ് I learned how to flip bottles and all that kind of stuff and mix all these fancy drinks uh-huh. and I'm like okay I'm going to I'm going to become a bartender it looks like it's fun I get to stay in this like nightlife scene because that was the interest then you know mm-hmm. back then that was a, it was a narrow minded low vibrational interest of just being in a social environments so I I approached that that um 
that line of work, realizing that I wasn't nearly making the money I thought I was going to make. I wasn't finding it. it, it it's a struggle. And that's, it, it's a struggle in all avenues of this. And I also, I also uh, put my foot into the world of modeling. You know, I got, I signed, I got signed with a couple agencies mm. and I, I, I had, I had work here and there. I did like, some photo shoots, paid stuff like here, but it wasn't, it's never consistent work. Like it, that's the other thing you realize about the modeling world as well is that unless you're at like the top of the food chain on that mm. world, it's not a career. It's a side gig at best, mm. but it's definitely not something going to make your life out of. But until then, it seems like this dream. I'm going to be a model. I'm going to be uh, modeling for Armani and I'm going to do all this stuff. And it's just women, like, even if you are, women yeah, are even if you are, mm. well, yeah, of course, if you're for like an adolescent male and you especially coming from India, like, you know, you're really, like you're, that's, that's the thing that you, you, your mind gets polluted with Western yeah. ideas of, of sexuality and stuff like that as well. India, uh, India promotes like they don't promote sexuality as much in their movies. They promote love. They promote uh, like, intimacy, but it's uh, very like it's very shy in nature, and it's mm. very, there's always this. Like, it's, it's, but it's Western influence. Mm. But originally, like, especially at least when I was still there, like it, it, even making out in a movie was like. Oh, oh. The, the scene where um, I think I forgot. I think it was Doom. Uh, where Ritik Roshan and Ashwarya Rai made out. Ah, 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 I remember that was a big thing. Like, everyone was like, what is this? How is this? People are crazy. And you go in, in Hollywood, you see what's happening. Like, you're basically having sex on screen. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 with the exception of actual penetration being shown. In European movies, it also goes on. It goes on. So that's the thing. You're seeing all this influence from the, from the Western world. You're like, Oh, it's just this thing you're looking over because you have feel that with testosterone and insecurities mm-hmm. and all these things. You're just like this real. I, I, yeah, I, I yeah, go, yeah. Exactly, and and it, it becomes it, it. I look at it as poisoning of the of the mind, it is. poisoning of your sexuality. But you don't realize it then. Then you just want to do it. So that also being in that environment, you know, you wanna you wanna jump into that through whatever avenue you can find. So fast forward, I somehow end up through this bartending nightlife scene end up in like the like the male exotic dancing world <laughs> and yeah Ooh. big jump how do you how, how do you even get into that kind of a gig well I, i i initially applied as bartender because i was just applying everywhere any kind of club anything and like that kind of that avenue opened up while i was searching for clubs and i'm like okay you know i could i'm already modeling and stuff i can do you know, do some shirt off bartending stuff you know be around the girls partying okay it's, it seemed like a good weekend gig to me i'm like okay if i'm going to someone approach you anyway, did you go out and audition for this how did it work out this particular uh, initially i actually auditioned for it mm-hmm. uh, not audition but applied because i applied as a bartender mm. so and and then eventually like i i started dancing on stage and stuff as well apne aap aise matlab logon ne bola hoga na kisi ne someone usse asked you to moment I felt like it was a sense of self-worth. Like, uh, I'm not going to degrade myself and do something like that. Mm. And I wouldn't do, uh, I wouldn't, but in all honesty, it was just insecurity and stage fright that, mm. le- that, that was keeping me away from wanting to do this. It wasn't that I really had these morals. I want to, mm. I wish, 
but but it was it was the, the honest of it that moment was i was just more nervous and more insecure to actually be put on a stage while people are watching me and i'm dancing and taking my shirt off and you know do all this stuff and then people are like okay wow so when i actually took that leap and broke that thing i'm like okay this is not actually fun it's did fun you to learn to a, dance a, before this or did you just do random movements how did you go i never got trained to dance at least up until then mm. I, i i could always dance a little bit i could yeah, i could move but if, if i if i if you gave me some choreography a little bit mm. i could figure it out Achoo. but i was at i was at that place and then after that i got i moved on to a, a bigger show called chippendales which is basically i mean it's pretty pretty well known in the in america at least in europe but that was more of a of like a a bigger stage like magic audience. mic something like that no no much bigger, bigger than that, than that. It, yeah yeah cuz like our, our our audience is sometimes would be 4 5000 girls and Whoa. You know, big stages we, we we like we travel with 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 a crew we have lighting designers our dj like rock stars. lighting absolutely this this was my chip, my time with chippendales was absolutely my all my rock star fantasies of when i was a kid coming you know, like i'm like what because i honestly like especially the heavy metal days and all this mm. stuff like i i i envisioned you know, what would it be like being on a stage in front of fans and enjoying mm. that moment and taking in the energy and being the, being at on this pedestal of sorts because it it was an admirable quality you, you saw in the leads of these bands and stuff mm. like that as well these performers like i guess the, i guess i did have this desire to perform but be good at it and be be appreciated for it but chippendales kind of gave me that platform to I guess live out that those rock star days because we also it wasn't just you know it wasn't just dancing let alone the exotic there was also um there was music in it there's there, we had we had piano numbers where there was just a guy playing singing and playing the piano we, we had, who, who is this guy like num- like the crew members or the performers who who are these people no the performers so we had a, we had a whole cast one is one is our friend mo of course oh, yeah, he, yeah. he was a, he was our guitarist and then we more a taller uh, more broader form of me and and you uh-huh. <laughs> me, me and you <laughs> Uh-huh. So, um, he's like he's six, seven, or yeah, third brother. Uh-huh. Um, and we also had a, a friend of mine, uh, Justin, who was with us. He, he, he's a phenomenal singer. Shout out Achha. to Justin. But so do they, uh, do they? Do they? Do um, they uh, audition you people to see your special talents or something like oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to go. Achha. You have to go through an audition process and everything. And it, it's a. It was actually very challenging at first because I had never been in a, such a. big show where the mm. it's a two and a half hour show and Sheesh, it's man. all choreography so since it starts it's all choreography and it's it, it's not just it, and it's a go there's no waiting it's like oh, you have to be timed perfectly oh, every day backstage. once a week most no no uh, it was at least at least at least six days a week my god two hours every single day of dancing on the every stage day. We, we, we've, we've had stretches where we had 32 shows with one day off in between And, and we're traveling on top of that so we're on tour we're doing all But now it doesn't sound as exciting really exactly that's that was the, that was what you realized there so like that was part of my experience with this was all the the rock star fantasies mm. i wanted to live out i didn't realize why so much of them are alcoholics and on heroin and depressed mm. and all this stuff because they've been touring for 25 years and you start touring even though you're in luxury we had our own tour bus mm. right we, uh, the crew had their own tour bus we had we had a bathroom in the bus everybody had their own beds we had three lounges xbox kitchen you know the, everything that you wanted it is is there you know people were having a good time there's plenty of space like you're literally living in in a in a moving house 
huge. Like there's, pl- there's three lounges. Think about that. So there's nine guys on there. Everyone's spaced out. You have your own little space. You know, some guys are playing video games. We'd have like drum Ooh, circles. Sounds like a life, man. Sounds like <laughs> it a life. fun. But it's exhausting because that's mm. the thing. Like you may, you may be having a good time for a couple of years. You know, you're enjoying the, the party lifestyle. You're enjoying the attention with girls. You're enjoying being a performer, traveling with your friends, seeing all these countries you never thought you'd be in. You're enjoying all this. But then the physical exhaust, exhaustion that you face over time really starts to add up. So after a couple of years, you find yourself like you're just bags under your eyes. You're like, you just... You don't have it in you. Like you, you, you do a three and a half month tour. You go home for like a week or two, and then That's you go it. right back on tour, and, and another two months. Then you go home for like three weeks, and you go back to Europe. When you say when you, you say back, tour, it means like in a bus traveling from state to state. In a bus traveling state to state, country to country. Dude, that's mental, man. In Europe, in exactly. America, so, and where else? Where else did you tour? We did. We've done. We've done uh, Korea. We've done Philippines. We've done Canada. And I mean, Chip, before me, Chippendales has been to South, South Africa, Mexico, Australia, like New Zealand. They, they've been all over the place. Uh, Phil, Philippines, I already said. But um, they've been to so many places over the years. And they, I mean, they still, I mean, not, obviously not now because of COVID, but um, they, they're, they're, it's, been a, it's been an experience throughout just getting to see all these countries. Because that was my biggest drive for this. I'm like, I get to see all these places that I've never thought I'd be in in my life. And that was the most rich experience. Over time, the being a performer kind of got old. You know, the mm. attention with people got old. Everything like, all right, whatever. I, I kind of, I'm over it. I felt like it was going to fulfill me in some way. But I realize now it was just insecurities that you really wanted to overcome. And mm. when you overcome them, you're like, okay, this doesn't really give me much value. It doesn't, that's, well, whether you understand that early or late, in some point in your life, you're going to realize when you're trying to cater to your insecurities, you're never going to be fulfilled. You just got to understand where it comes insecurities, from. Insecurities, you mean it. the kick we get if a woman desires you, is it? Yeah, so that, that's the thing. I, I think, as, as, at least for a man, um, getting a woman's attention is, is in this world we live in now, somehow... I, adds to your self-worth for some reason yes, yes. and 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 we don't feel confident we don't feel like we're able to you know be, we, we're, we're able to be a man unless women want us which is mm. ridiculous it's, it, it's a ridiculous way to see the world and it's especially a ridiculous way to see yourself True. but i think at some point every man goes through that mm. i mean an immature phase of having to understand that Luckily, I got a condensed period of my life where I got to live all that out in and, excess and in excess and work through it and mm-hmm. then come out while I'm still still relatively young and, and I'm able to have a better perspective on this because maybe if without it, I might have still been in this chase mode or I, I was or maybe not have gained the perspective I needed. But eventually, the, the real treasure that I got from this experience was the travel. It was the travel. It was the people I got to meet. It was the things I got to see. And that mental place you get to put in where you just open your bus door and you're just seeing the Swiss Alps or you're in the mountains of Norway. Talk about this a little bit. I mean, what's the one place that you've been to that, that really fucking, that's the place I want to go back to again. You know what? I, I have to say I've been to so many countries that are so beautiful, but you don't always have time in all of them. So a lot of places I got to didn't have that much time, but the one I really, really resonated with was Norway. Norway was someplace, I guess just because of the tourist schedule, no, we always had more days off there, more time there. So mm-hmm. I could go on, you know, we have a day off, get a backpack and go on a hike in the mountain somewhere and see these places. So I have so much, 
so many more rich memories. Not, or, not only Norway, I, Norway, Sweden, the Scandinavian, the Scandinavian, uh, area. Scandinavian area, because I, we usually started or ended our tour in the Scandinavian area. So we would have more days off and stuff. So I got more exploration time compared to the other places. Not that I have it in other places. And I've seen beautiful places, but there's like, you know, if, you, if you're in a country for a day or two, you get off the bus, you got to run to your hotel, you know, put your bags down. And also it's a, it's a physique-based occupation. Mm. Go to the gym, the gym make sure you're getting your meals in. Yeah, that's the other thing. You're exhausted. You have to go to the mm. gym too because you can't be skinny and out of shape because <laughs> these girls have paid a lot of money to see male specimens dance for them. So <laughs> you, have to, you have to keep your, your end of the bargain up. You know, you can't be just, oh, I'm having too much fun to work out. That's not, you can't do that. I mean, it's not, it's part of the job description. Mm. So, but Norway, Norway is the one where I would, I mean, I would really, I really, really say that I have fond memories. I got to see the Northern Lights, you know. And, Are they really as, as bright as the, I mean, as you see oh them? I can't, I could never explain. I, I actually got to see the Northern Lights. I was sitting on a like this Viking ship that was like, it was, I, I think it was made for a festival or something. I don't know why it was, it wasn't like in the water. It was obviously mm -hmm. on the, like on, on, the, on the coast, but um, it was, it was uh, we, we, we went there, we sat down, we were, we were just with the stars all hanging out, having a good time. And all of a sudden we start seeing like the, the lights appear and it was just boom, like, it, like whew. It, it's so captivating and overwhelming. And it, it's so, um, I would say like mesmerizing in the sense that you're like, you're seeing a natural phenomenon. Some part of you comprehends the vastness. Of, is it uh, psychedelic? I mean, does it, does it look a little psychedelic? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's kind of, that's kind of, that's kind of where it takes you. It's like, it's like a natural forming psychedelic oh, just visuals. I don't know when the lockdown is going to end. Let's go to Norway, man. Let's, let's plan something for Norway. 100%. Don't ever go without me. Scandinavia. Of course, the uh -huh. one place we have to go to is, is another Scandinavian place that we have to go to. Amsterdam, we go to. What the Dutch? Dutch, sorry. We'll go there. I went with my brother and Addy. When last year? Um, to last no two years ago and it was fun uh, man. I, I, I really i really like amsterdam man because amsterdam of course it has the it has the legal weed and mushrooms and all of course and that's usually the biggest <laughs> <tourist> <laughs> <attraction> <laughs> it. no it's like it's just it's such a it's such a cool unique holland in general honestly like holland, there's actually really nice parts of holland that are, are outside of amsterdam which honestly i would say are worth visiting more than mm. amsterdam but Amsterdam, definitely the thing I like about it is whatever you think it is or you, you heard it, it is. is, it is that. Like it actually does. It's one of those rare places you go to like, this is exactly what I thought it was going to be. You like. walk you know around, you smoke some pot, you trip your balls off on mushrooms or truffles oh, or something like that. You, 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 you can buy mushrooms legally there. Like, you, like, like in any gift shop, you can buy weed. And no crime. There. I mean, no, no issue with crime or anything like that. That's, a, that's an interesting thing about it because you notice that a lot of things that are taboo if not illegal it in a lot of places are openly except even prostitution you know like this it's legal there mm. and it's it's a it's a strange thing to see but you also have to see that people there are content and happy with their lives and a lot of them don't indulge in any of this they don't they don't indulge in prostitutes they don't indulge in weed they don't they don't eat mushrooms they don't do any of this stuff but i would say that it, it gives people a outlet for their vices, which mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it is a, is, is the right or wrong way to go. I'm nobody to comment on that, but it, it is a noticeable ch change in scenery where, okay, you, you, you have vices, you have things you want to do. It's, it's legally allowed there. So 
at least you're, you're, you, may, you may be able to do it a little bit more responsibly than you would have otherwise. Mm. So it's approach. It's an approach that they, they take. And, but it's, it's a, I would say this, there's a cultural vibe you get there. Just mm. the, especially the architecture, like the little the old Dutch world, houses. Is it? Yeah, it has, a, has that old, old timey feel to it. Like the little Dutch houses on the canals and little bridges. And it's, it's, such a, it's, like, it's like a cute place. It, it, mm. it has this very cute area, like a... Like, almost like like a grandma village, you know. And you can I don't walk know how to around the entire place. Yeah, yeah, around. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I that's why I think places outside of Amsterdam that are less touristy, that you actually you really get the feel of it. You know, you really get the idea of oh, what this what the the like Holland and mm. the, like the Netherlands is really about. So I definitely think we it's a awesome place to visit. Let's, let's do this, man. Um, also, yeah. uh, you'd be very happy to hear uh, that uh, uh, Uttarakhand has passed uh, legal uh, cannabis. Ka, so you can really? grow. Huh? Yeah. So hemp to thai pehle, ab You're allowed to grow it there? Yeah, yeah. So you need a license or wow. something like that. And, uh, are you allowed to yeah, sell it? Or are you allowed- I don't think that you can sell it. But um, I think for medical purposes, they are trying to... I think Bangalore, mein, there's this uh, place that has opened up or is it a website? I don't remember. Of legal cannabis. Of course, very, very low volume. I think three or two... Uh, CBD and one year two THCS something yeah. in uh, Bangalore they're doing but it's, we're getting there Uttarakhand has done it and That's of course very good. yeah man and, and of course you've been to Rishikesh so you know that the culture of, uh, of, of pot is rel- uh, fairly yeah. prevalent over there as well and I, I think more more so than I mean I, I it's good to hear that because of course people that want to smoke pot will always find pot to smoke oh, yeah, yeah. They're not gonna, they don't care if it's legal or not but when you legalize it, I think you're opening people to understand the medical benefits of CBD, especially more so than THC. Like you don't have to get high. You don't have to be smoking this stuff. But if you have like extreme pain, if you oh, yeah. like a lot, a lot of like, uh, or things like that, like a lot of, a lot of medical applications yeah, of CBD. Stimulating hunger, uh, managing pain. I mean, a lot of different things you can do. Yeah, with. there's a lot of things that can be used for it. So like it, it's a... It's an unnecessary blocking of, a, of something that can be used medicinally because a lot of people recreationally smoke it for just to get high, which Ooh. is, I mean, fine. If you're just going to get high, just get high. All right. Well, that's you. And that's your thing. And you're mm. going to find it anyway. They gotta yep. go, you're using drugs. You're going to find some dealer on the side of the road. You're going to make find it legal so that the dealer on the side it. of the road does not sell you lace stuff with rat poison. I mean, make it legal for that purpose alone. <laughs> Gonna die, man. You're gonna damage yourself in the name of creative or almost creative. Are you tera dimag mein sabko khatam ho raha hai, bhaiya. Zehar pi raha hai, bhaiya. Ah, bilkul. Zehar pi raha hai. Numb ho ke baitha hua hai. Suno ke. Three days baad tere se baat karo to itna brain fog hai ki hain. Kya bola, bhaiya? Are. Yeah, yeah. To concentrate karo, yar. So, I mean, that's. I'm, I'm happy that's that's happening, and I think that once. It wasn't even. It wasn't even illegal in India until recently, right? I think the Britishers uh, made it illegal. I think when uh, the US made cannabis illegal, I think yeah, that's when that's India followed or something like that happened. That's what I heard. Sad man. But, but we're happy it's, it's, uh, we're getting there. Slowly and steadily we're getting there. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, uh, really interested in your take on this um, very strange world that we are in right now. Coronavirus, the conspiracy surrounding it. I've got my own take. I was terrified when it really started. Uh, when I was mm-hmm. When I saw the when I saw pandemic and when I saw David Icke interviews and things like that, I was a little yeah, yeah. I was a little scared. Um, I mean, for my parents uh, uh, mostly, not not for myself as much. 
Mm-hmm. But it seems to be much more benign than we gave it credit for initially, if it is anything at all in the first place, that is. So what is your take on this? I mean, there's definitely an element of conspiracy and I would not deny it. The kind of inconsistencies yeah. we've had since this whole thing started are baffling if someone is not noticing the pattern. But yeah, take what do you think this is? So, I mean, my I guess my approach rather than my take is that when these things come up, it's obvious that there's always going to be two sides of the coin. There's going to be people that say it's real, people that say that, that you know, it, it's, 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 gonna, it's dangerous and this and that. And there's people that are going to say it's all fake and it's all a conspiracy and it's made up by, by China to, as a bioweapon and they're attacking our economy and all these things that are happening. Maybe, I don't know. But what is the responsible thing a person can do in a situation like that to considering both sides of this coin? So responsible thing to do is, okay, there's a virus allegedly that is going out and allegedly it is very dangerous to people that are weakened with weakened immune systems and weakened respiratory systems and stuff like that uh, especially the elderly that means know, everyone above 50 everyone everybody everybody above 50 or people below who have uh, asthma or asthma and mm. um, bronchitis issues and stuff like that and um i mean i i actually suffered from that when i was a child as well I, I don't know why but l- yeah luckily i I somehow overcame it. I haven't had anything, but anyway, but my, um, my understanding is that, okay, while this is going on, don't allow propaganda, don't allow news, don't allow uh, people to control your fear of these things. Don't allow, don't allow this sense of fear and, and, you know, um, timidness towards something, but be responsible as well and be, be willing to, understand that okay this is a situation this is what you got to do here's the precautions we need to take and let's figure this out so if we all take that approach then that's kind of how things will work out now i am one to i have an eye a little bit i i mean i don't like to say i have an eye for conspiracies but i always like i'm a, I'm a natural skeptic of everything mm. so when i look at these things i'm like it doesn't seem to make so much sense as much as it as much as they're trying to make it seem like because it's being dealt with in a weird way that the, the, the numbers are, are some saying are fabricated and some are saying and, you know, it's high, some are saying it's low some are saying sometimes they're saying don't wear a mask because you're not helping and the and the medical people don't get masks mm-hmm. if you wear them too much then it's illegal to not wear a mask out of nowhere so you're like you're still obviously there's no figuring this out. Mm. There's no consistency. So that's where the skepticism comes in. So I'm trying to pay attention to like the the the, the things that, that pique my skepticism. I'm of course watching documentaries and stuff like that as well. And I don't necessarily think it's not real. I this is, I think that there's obviously something something going that's on. making people sick, right? And, that's true. And and definitely if there's something going on, there's going to be casualties. People are going to die. And that's, that's tragic. It's tragic, especially if you're personally involved in it, yeah, you know, if it's yeah. your loved one yeah, and, yeah, and, and it's nothing wrong with wanting to protect the people you love and, and yourself. Right. But it is something wrong. If you're allowing opportunists to use this fear opportunists to use this for political games, you're like, that's also, I'm trying to starting to see a little bit. Okay. Maybe it is a real virus. That doesn't mean, people aren't making political plays in the name of the virus that are happening. And then that's where the conspiracy theories come in. So I, I do keep my eye on that. I do notice a lot of things. A lot of things do catch my interest. I'm not even going to lie and say I'm, I'm not sold on a lot of it. But 
I think for the for the most part, I I don't. It doesn't look like it's as bad as it was initially told to, oh, be, yeah, yeah. Said to be. I agree. I agree. So where I am at now is that what are we still doing at this point? Like, I mean, yeah. I feel why like there's, there's a the lack, lockdown. Mm. Why is there lockdowns? And also, like, it's it's this the media, and this is what people don't understand. Whether they're corrupt or not, they have enormous power over oh, yeah, the social yeah, narrative. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and that's what people are like. You know, no, they're not corrupt. It wasn't on the news. I'm like. If you really wanted to control the social narrative about what's going on in the world, you would go to the media first, like and buy them. Like that's just an obvious no-brainer. That's where you'd go. If, yeah, if people you think really that's only politicians that can be bought. Well, media people can be bought. Even scientists can be bought. Anyone can be bought. Yeah, they are. Of course, they are. Like I mean, that, that's how it works. So, when I watch the like, especially in the states right now, like I watch the media completely be overwhelmed with. Coronavirus updates, numbers, daily numbers. This it's, it's crazy. We're all gonna die. You know, I'm okay. You're really, um, you're really focusing on that. All of a sudden, events change. Now we're dealing with um, protests. We're dealing with riots because oh, yeah. of racial issues in the states. You know, the Black Lives Matter protests. You guys are, you all guys are fucked right now. Exactly. So now, now with that's happening, I understand completely mm. where that a movement like that would arise from, and and why pe- the the injustices and and uh, the discriminations people face in this country based off of race and stuff like that. But then again, I'm also seeing politicians promote and, and provoke it even more. Mm, mm, almost, mm. almost like, so the same politician that, that they basically said it's, it's illegal or, 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 or possibly you could be charged criminally for leaving your house uh, unnecessarily because of coronavirus and this and that are saying, I support people protesting in the street. Now I get it. I can also kind of support that as well in some mm. sense. Like I get that you want justice. I get that you want people that were killed by cops and in and, and discriminatory ways and like, you know, in just ways. I understand you'd want justice. But I also understand that why is a politician completely changing something uh, like in his mind like mm. that? You know, like it's a little bit, I'm not saying I know why, I'm not saying I know what's going on, but it just definitely piques my interest. I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on there? Why well, there's is, definitely why is that a, you can you can have a you know there's a smell of uh, I wouldn't say conspiracy because that's through stronger word and it'll make us look like nut jobs but yeah <laughs> well, there is but um, it, it's inconsistent discrepancy yes but, yes and then and then I'm also seeing like uh, this is another incident that that happened recently that people were protesting the Black Lives Matter movement in in a just way there was I don't think this one was looting at all but it was going on and I think in the same town I, I believe this was Jersey. Oh, New Jersey, but people were also protesting opening their businesses and, you know, like, why are we still closed? You know, let us open our gyms up, let us open our salons up. There were some people got gathered for protesting for that. The people that were protesting Black Lives Matter, the politicians were, were supporting them. They were saying, you but know, not the I understand. I, no, it was the, no, the people that actually were supporting their businesses were getting penalized and arrested because oh, they weren't no. following lockdown guidelines. So I'm like, this is in the same radius that you're saying you can protest and then you cannot protest. Opening a business is safer than a protest. A protest yeah, so if I'm protesting of- my business being open, it's illegal. But if I go and protest um, like r- racism, it's, it, uh, it's legal. So it's just based on the cause. The, the, if there's a coronavirus really killing you, it doesn't matter why you're outside. 
it's going to get you. It doesn't matter what you, what the cause you went outside for. So that's the inconsistencies. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. I'm like, maybe either make all protests illegal for the time being, because you're trying or to keep none. everyone safe or don't tell anyone or let people practice their rights to protest peacefully. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the, that's the inconsistencies I'm seeing. So that's where the conspiracies are bubbling up from. Like it's the, and you can't ignore this. You can't, you'd be stupid to ignore this ignore left or right mm. or middle, like whatever you are, like you'd be very stupid to ignore the fact that there are inconsistencies in the political plays that are, are, are going forth with this coronavirus and protests and stuff like that. And then there's so much more going on as well. So it's just a very, it's a, it's a very weird climate. It is, it is. At least over here. What's it like in India right now? Like I hear from like my parents and all a little bit here and there, but... Just as bad, but uh, we've opened quite considerably. But the, the problem with India is that there's no clear, there's no clarity on what exactly is open and what exactly is not open anymore. Yeah. For example, interstate travel still seems to be a problem. You require a COVID test. Uh, to travel from state to state. I don't know if you still require quarantine of 14 days or not. Uh, gyms are still closed. Uh, big gyms are at least still closed. Or decent gyms are still closed. Smaller gyms, if they're running illegally, that's a different thing. Salon spas yeah, yeah. are also closed. I, uh, My own spa is also closed. So, Yeah, you told me. I don't know, man. It's um, Everything else is sort of uh, running smoothly. The general stores are open. The marketplaces are open. They're, they're, they're still considering um, whether they should open the mandi wala hisab kitab. Saturday ki mandi lag gai, Monday ki mandi lag gai. They're still mm. concerned ki wo khulna hai ki nahi khulna. But baki, most everything is open. But the problem is that uh, with India, Indians have a very, very... I mean, now though everyone in the world has a very uh, small attention span. But the, the need to have their bellies filled. Because Indians generally are very, very poor with respect to savings. I don't know how it's over there. Yeah. But yahan pe din yeah, ka daily right. income se jo aata hai, paisa usi pe aadmi jita hai. Majority of Indians are below the... Yeah, yeah. Oh, here too, man. Achha, wahan bhi hai. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people are in very difficult situations. A lot of people are making good livings. You know, $100,000 a year, $150,000 a year. But they're also living paycheck to paycheck in that sense because there's, there's, their lifestyle is expensive. You know, their, their rent's mm-hmm. expensive. Their car payments, insurance, and food, and all their daily expenses are so expensive that they can't even afford to not make money for a, a month. The strange, strange time, man. The, the, and the, the, the other thing over that is that people... Uh, especially in the boomer age group, you know, someone who's above mm-hmm. 50, uh, they think that ah, everything is fine. Nothing is in. Like they don't even sense that, that there is something greater at play because these are not normal circumstances. Things like that didn't yeah. even happen in the World War II. This kind of yeah, an extended yeah. lockdown didn't happen then as well. And they think that, ah, yeah. it's okay, is very... Um, very worrying sometimes because uh, to purposely be ignorant of something that you can sense is wrong. Yeah. It's very wrong. So, it's, it's a troubling time and I do think that it is a worthwhile um, that, that these this year and the next year are good uh, a good time frame. This one year is a good time frame to actually think of uh, of setting up something that is a little more isolated like something in the hills or something like that i wouldn't mind setting yeah. up something like that yeah like kabhi anything um, shit goes down I'll, I'll i'll run man yeah yeah <laughs> count me in man let's go uttarakhand chalo yaar apna this is so i already live there so i know those hills masuri to you spent most of your childhood in no 
Yeah, man. I mean, it's a strange uh, time to say the least. And, but the good thing is that if you are considering coming to India, I think um, the third world countries would fare much better than uh, the US would. Yeah. I, I really truly believe this is going to be a time where especially countries like India are going to really rise, going mm. to really, really uh, step up to the occasion and, and, and make, its, make its mark on the world. And I think this is a time, you know, people like, people like us and our age group and stuff like that, it's time to bring the, 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 the true treasures India has for the world and express them out, you know, like express, yeah, express the, yogic, the yogic cultures and the Vedic, Vedic cultures and the Ayurveda they have. And like all these, all these ancient teachings and powerful healing, healing mechanisms that have been developed for thousands and thousands of years. Oh, wait. You know, a lot of things, a lot of things we took for granted. I definitely took for granted when oh, I lived we, there. We too, man. I mean, chavan prash kya hota? Kaun khayega chavan prash subha? Kaun khayega? Mitti, mitti. That's it. We use chavan prash as a reference to something that tasted terribly. Bad, huh? Kya khilala chavan prash as a But, you know, these things are so, so important, you know, like, like, and and the like the, the herbalist the alchemy of herbs and everything that exists in india like the world needs it now more than ever and right now like i get i definitely get a huge sense from like the western world america and europe and stuff when you start to talk about eastern medicines and mm. eastern spiritual practices it's like this is not a you know interesting it's not I something it, it that became it, really popular in the recent past no with the yoga studios it, that have it is, but that—that's the problem. Is it's yoga studios. It's it's these, it's this um, I would say pseudo approach or, mm. or not not pseudo approach, but it's like they're nitpicking little parts out of it. If you look at if you look at yoga, right? Yoga itself, and in, in like as expressed by like Patanjali and, and other scriptures, mm. it has eight limbs, mm. eight big limbs that all have their own categories to them, and the asanas. Uh, the, the the stretching and the postures of it is only one mm. but you go to a yoga studio to learn yoga but you're only learning, learning. to stretch you're not you're not learning the main become a jalebi this, yeah? contort yourself in you're not really learning the actual important the mm. most fruitful practices of yoga you're not learning because you, you can't teach that just in a studio in 30 minutes you know what i mean but you now that's not to discredit that doing asanas will have will, of will have benefits for you, tremendous benefits for you. But your life would be so much richer if you were to look at yoga as a whole. You know, mm. look at the mental practices in mm. yoga, yoga with the, the sadhanas people, people mm. go through with, with, with their mental, you know, you, you're uh, practicing ethics and morality, mm. Pra mm. practicing self, self observation, pranayama, practicing learning your breath and the life force that exists within your breath. The get high on your people. own supply, man. If you learn how to breathe exactly. properly, get exactly. high on your own you supply. You literally learn to make your own drugs with your drugs. Like you can make your own drugs. Well, when you go looking in, a, in an alley to find weed and a, a thing, make your own cannabis. <laughs> you know, make, make, your own, make your own DMT. Make your own stuff. You learn how to manage your own faculties, manage your own physiology, your own mental stuff. And then, then you're learning the meditational aspects of it. And you're, you're, learn, you're learning the self-observation and the, and the, the pratyahara, the disconnection mm. from, from, from yourself, the withdrawal of senses. Like these things are so valuable, but it's not taught in studios. It's not taught in these yoga, most yoga places. You're just going to stretch in the park or stretch in a studio and now you've learned yoga. And that's where I'm like, you're, you're just, you've taken such a small piece of this and, and, and you're called, you, like, it shouldn't be called yoga. That should be called uh, asanas. It should asana. become an asana yes. studio. Do you know what I mean? Like they should, if they use the correct word, then people are like, okay, what is an asana? Oh, it's a part of yoga. 
you know, okay, wow, what's yoga? Now you see your interest is already done mm. differently because if you use the right word, but you're calling it yoga, you're putting it under the umbrella. So people think this is it. This is it. This is all it is. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a yoga expert because I could put both my legs behind my head. Mm. I can't do that. And I think that's very <laughs> difficult. I'm not sure if I ever will be able to, mm. but the, the, the true value of it, you know, that, that's where it's, it's in India. India has the scriptures. India, ha India has the knowledge of this stuff. And India can bring this to the world because the world needs this now more than it ever has. I think with India is that uh, Indians find it very difficult to package these things in a, in a, you know, in a, in a very attractive sense that, that the other person, for example, for us, I mean, if, if someone really knew how to capture the attention of a child and tell him, Ki, yeah, this is what you need, this is something that you would be good in. I think we would mm -hmm. have turned out, I mean, I'm not saying that we didn't turn out great. We obviously did, but uh, the evolution that uh, we happened to tap into in our twenties might've happened maybe even in our teens, who knows? Possibly. Well, I, I think it all happened in good time. I mean, we can't, I'm, sure. I, I, I'm not going to say that I wish I happened earlier. Maybe there's some things I needed to learn because if, if I, if I hadn't, um, gone through the, I would say the stages of my, of the more ignorant or more, um, I would say less, less aware phases of my life. Maybe I wouldn't have a reference frame, you know, mm. I wouldn't be able to know true. what it's like to, to live like that. I, I would be, maybe I would be more judgmental mm. of people that are, in, are more in like their own, our own mind and their own ego and their own, mm. their own sense of self and lost in there. Like, why can't you see it? But the fact that I know I've lived through it myself, I can understand. I can relate in you're a way. Very good. And you actually see that with people who become extremely religious in their teens. For example, someone who's learning to be a pandit or even a priest for that matter. Someone who goes to the church. Yeah. regularly. They are the most judgmental people when they grow up. The most judgmental people. Yeah. Because they don't have a frame of reference. They think, okay, how, how, how can you live ignorantly when it's so obvious around you? How but, could you know what a they, virtue is if you haven't tried the vices once? Exactly, exactly. So that's the, I think that's where we really have a, a benefit in that sense because mm -hmm. you know, we know what it's like. You know, we know what it's like to be, um, to, 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 be to, to, to pursue your vices. We know what it's mm -hmm. like to be ignorant. We know what it's like to be insecure. We know what it's like to be egoistic. We know what it's like to be through these things. And we, we live through it. You learn through it. And you come out good on the other side. The only hope you could have is you don't harm anybody or yourself mm -hmm. along the way. But... It's, 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 a good, it's a good way to experience all faculties of life and then make your decision, you know, like make your decision. Do I want to be, do I want to live like a yogi or a baba? And if I want to, mm -hmm. do I want to uh, pursue spiritual practices? And are, are you, am I missing out? You know, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure someone might think, am I missing out on that fun mm -hmm. world people seem to be having? But like, mm -hmm. I've lived it. I'm definitely not. Definitely not missing out on anything. I've done it all. Like, I've, I've done it all in, in abundance. And at this point, it's overkill, you know, so mm. I, I now I've, I've come to realize that what where I'm going to be more efficient, where I'm going to be more focused and able to actually concentrate my my uh, short attention span that we have we're talking about and we've already sidetracked from. I don't even know what we're talking about now, man. We've gone haywire, haywire, haywire. There's, there's, a, there's good, a certain man. sense of... Um, pureness to that chaos it's not it's not yeah. bound by you know uh, this constant and, and that, that, that's what it is and I, I think that that's this um back to the the point of you know yoga and all i think this this new age revolution with psychedelics and new age revolution with this like, new, like, new hippie culture that we're getting and people like this 
mass awakening as I was saying people are going mm. through like it needs it needs structure and it needs substance and if it's not yoga at least something but I mean for me I found like I feel like that the the, the yogic approach to these things resonated with me it almost feels like a, a, a distant memory of maybe an old life or something but oh. I feel I feel like it, it resonates and it makes so much sense to me because religion I've never been a very religious person and especially because I, I grew up with a, around so many different religions you know, like like on one on one side of my family, there's Christian. You know, like, I come from like a Christian background, but my what dad's kind of side has a common background. Pentecostal, I believe Methodist. I believe Methodist. Um, and I'll be honest, I'm not even sure what that means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't even. I'm not even very um, well versed. You know, the Christians and Orthodox and you know pedestrians or whatever they are. But on my dad's side, we're Brahmins. So like you know, like the, the so I'm seeing like and we all, we went to a Catholic school. Mm. So like, I'm I'm introduced to all these Catholicism, and I'm mm. introduced to the to the you know mass, and go, we're going to the cathedrals, mm. and I'm going to churches on Sunday. But I'm, but I'm also attending puja at home, and all these mm. uh, all these uh, rituals and stuff like that, because you know like I come from like a priesthood family as well. Mm. So for me, like I'm I'm noticing contradicting religions mm. in a way, like one saying something else, one saying something else, like everyone saying it's true, believe it. I'm like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know who's right, who's wrong. Mm. If you're both right, if you're both wrong. I don't, I haven't seen God. I, I don't know. You're talking about him. You say you've seen him. I haven't. I don't, he hasn't come to me yet. So I, I'm still looking for that. Who's this God guy? Who's like, who's this? Mm. Like, I, he seems to be unaccounted for. Everyone but you wouldn't call yourself atheistic. You wouldn't call yourself atheistic, would you? I would say I had a phase in my life where I definitely said I was, but no, we all being do. realistic. Yeah, never being realistic. It was just I didn't know, but I like to argue about it. I like mm. I like to I like to prove to people that were I would say arrogantly religious mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. that that they too don't know what they're talking about. Talking so about, I would take true. the stance of an of an atheist and 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 say, hey, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. Are you sure? Are you sure this happened? Are you sure you read it? Who wrote it? You know, I just question these things and make people trip over their own logic because mm. they don't know either. So that's the thing. That's the thing. I, I, if you if you believe something and you don't believe something, it's the same thing. Like you just you just decided you don't. You either know it or or, or you believe it or you don't believe it. But you don't know. The experience hasn't shown you anything. Mm. But when you take when the, like that's what resonated about the yogic approach is an, it's an experience based approach to spirituality. Mm. There there is no belief system here. It is it is about you devoting yourself to this practice, disciplining yourself to this practice, mm. going through the rituals, going, going through the, the turmoil and, 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 the, and the discipline of actually learning how to go through these things, mm. and then prepare yourself for an experience. When you have your experience, you move to the next level. Mm. You keep moving through your experience. That's the, your teacher, your true teacher is not your guru. It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, your, it's your experience that teaches you. Like they just shine light on it in a way. You know what I mean? So that's what really resonated with me was like okay no one's no one's telling me i have to er- like arrogantly or stubbornly believe something here finally and now i get it but then i th- then i started to understand the 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 parallel the parallel nature of like hinduism and yogic culture but how they're they're almost connected with rituals and certain mm. types of practices but it's not the <clears throat> same thing like hinduism still is a religion it's still a belief based system mm. but the the rituals and the practices that are involved come from real science in a way come from real mm, yogic mm, science mm. and vedic understandings of things so they get intertwined and i can see how on the outside 
someone who thinks yogis are Hindus in a way, but a yogi can be any religion. You know what I mean? Mm. He, he could be any religion. He could also be an atheist in some mm. sense. He could be, he, he could be agnostic. He could be anything. He's just a person who has structured his life in a way where he's in control of his experiences. Mm. He's in control of the nature of him. And you decide how far you want to take it. Very, very well put. Very well put, actually. And, and yes, I mean, I agree with you entirely. I think um, any form of scriptural knowledge or scriptural preoccupation um, is very dogmatic and without self-inquiry or self-assessment or self-dialogue or, you know, whatever you want, the, 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 the exploration of the self without, uh, mm. you know, without... Uh, I forgot my frame of thought, but uh, the exploration... <laughs> the the exploration of the self, I think, is more important than being dogmatically spiritual because being dogmatically spiritual is a recipe for some of the cruelest things that have happened in history in the name of religion. Absolutely. Absolutely. The worst things that happen in this world usually were in the name of God. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I mean, not to say good things haven't happened, but so many people have been killed. So many people have been put in so terrible circumstances, True. wrong religion, wrong place. And, and Social issues, there are there personal yeah. issues. The things that politics get involved. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it gets messy. I don't know who it put it this messy. way, but yes, it does. And someone said it very uh, aptly. It was that um, religion is the politicization of spirituality. I think it I've makes a lot that. of sense. I've heard that. That's, it does. I, I, it does make a lot of sense. And I, th I think it's time for a revamp and a, and a, new, uh, a new structural understanding of what it, what the spiritual dimension is mm. of a human being, mm. and and how to approach it in a very systematic and logical approach. Like it's not just a taboo belief that you have mm. that energy is real. Okay, if energy is real, feel it. Do stuff so you mm. can feel it. Now that you can feel it, do stuff so you can manage it and 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 and, uh, and appeal to it and understand how you can how can mold and, and manifest and you can, you can do all these, these powers that exist within our hands, the things we have, the abilities that we have not tapped into. It's basically exploring the human potential is what we should be interested in and not just the pursuit of God. Mm. I, think, I think that's the, that's the I, I, I like to say like the finding God happens to just be like a byproduct of the mm -hmm. yogic journey oh, in a way like you don't and have what to even is it. that entity is it is it yourself is it yeah. your higher self? what the fuck is it man exactly it's something that cannot be explained you mm. can't blame you can't say it's some entity outside of you you can't say it's just you it's mm. both it's everything it, it's it's basically life itself like mm. the, 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 the existence the, the, itself the creative force mm. that brought all of these all of this together manifested mm. everything we experience as life and will experience as life mm. onward is God in a way, but it's not something you can personify. It's not something you can even put down, put simplify into a word or an explanation or a religion. And you can't say it's a, a one thing. You can't say it's many things. It's everything in a way. So it's it's not a, it's not something you can really just narrow down like that. It's more of an experience. And that's the, that's where we're all missing out on. And, and there's actually an amazing, um, I think it's like a docu series on Netflix. It's called the um, the story of God with Morgan mm. Freeman. Achha. Have you seen that one? Nine, I will. Ah, I really, really recommend it. Mm. It's actually really cool because he goes around <laughs> the world mm. and explores all these different religions and spiritual practices. He goes to, he goes to monks. He goes to, um, he goes to like people practicing Judaism. Mm. He goes to Christians. He goes to Hindus. He goes to Muslims. Mm. He goes to all these people. But the premise of this is 
to show the the common element mm. that is usually overlooked between all religions. It's that common blending. element. Mm. That, yeah, yeah. And, and, and to show that a lot of the contradictions are kind of not relevant in that sense as much as, much as, you, as you would think, but it, there's actually a real common source, a common element to all religions. Mm. And if you were to just ex extract religion entirely, that element still element exists whether yes. you like it or not. So true. How that's the true essence that, of it all. That element, isolate the element and understand that whatever you want to call it, you can call it God, you can call it Jesus, you can call it mm. Allah, you can call mm. it Shiva or Vishnu or Krishna, or you can call it anything, you know, but you, it doesn't matter. It's there. Your words mean nothing in that sense. Mm. It's, just, it's there. You best you can do is just, I guess, dissolve yourself or learn to dissolve yourself in a way where you can experience it. And then if you have the, I would say, uh, the, 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 the verbal capabilities to express it in some way, then tell people about it. If you don't, it's your experience. It's for you. It's just something you keep to yourself. It's personal, but it enhances you because it, it shows you that in that essence, we're all the same thing. We're just True. different, different unique expressions, snowflakes of the same exact thing. But that's one thing to comprehend it, but it's a whole different thing to experience it. Experience it. The tree behind you, uh, is that tattoo or is it? Is it a painting or is it? Oh, no, yeah, that's, it's like a tapestry. Is it a tree of life? I believe so. What I think what it really is, is a, it's almost like a mirror, uh, mm. like a mirror image of roots and branches. Branches, okay. So I, I, I guess what so um what's above so below i guess that kind of that's a very uh, are you familiar with the uh, hermetic concepts behind these it's a very very fascinating one no no so the tree if you've read the christian doctrine of the dogma um it's of course it mm -hmm. predates and goes back to the sumerian uh, uh, you know uh, mythos but they believe that most of the religious texts in the world are written in a form of codex right and uh, okay and what the, the aim of our lives is that if you've read the Bible, the Genesis, it says that, you know, mm -hmm. God created uh, us in our image, in his image, you know, similar to him. So in his image. And that's a very, uh, that's not uh, something that you take lightly. What it literally means is that uh, you're the brother of God or, the, or, the, or an equal of God or an equal at the very least. Mm -hmm. And that's a very, very fascinating concept because according to that, um, eating the fruit of the tree of knowledge um, was such a transmuting act that God got scared of us because that's that's what's written in the Bible. He said that what you've done is wrong and now you're cast out. Mm -hmm. And the reason he cast us out is because we should not have eaten the other fruit, which was the tree of life, which would have given us immortality. So our aim through anything that we do, through alchemy, through hermeticism, through religion, is to eat the fruit of life again, is to understand okay. that we are eternal, that we are inherently eternal, that there is no Basically realization. Eternal. Yes, self-realization. Yeah. And when you realize that, you are an equal, if not God himself in some form or the other. So yeah. very, very well, I mean, that, that actually makes a lot of sense. Is that uh, if you realize that you, you're, you're made of the same, I would say, conscious or, or your conscious substance of God, then you are. Like, you I mean, are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... in that sense, you are. Like you, but you, you have to also, I would say, grasp the fact that your ego, your identity, oh, yeah. your mind, 
your, the, all, all these layers outside of it happen to be a, a short time manifestation or, or an, uh, an add-on that you're carrying, but that isn't it. So you, like, you know, if I'm, if I'm saying, you know, like me, Shiva, am God, well, <laughs> but as a, as a personality, uh, if, if I'm Not I'm as a God, personality, yes. Yeah, you're not. You're definitely not. But as an internal, go, yeah. As, as an internal being, as, as the, the core of, of, of your humanity, the core of who you are, the thing that will leave your body when you die, that is... That's that 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 has the same element that has the same substance of it. But what you've accumulated outside of that is a temporary accumulation. That's the difference we have to make because I I, I remember when I when I went to uh, Rishikesh and visited the like uh, monks there, they told me something very important. Something that really resonated with me was that when you read scriptures, when you when you obtain knowledge of spirituality and yogic sciences and stuff, there's two ways to do it right you can obtain it with your ego or you can obtain it with your soul meaning that your ego wants to be spiritual or wants to sound spiritual mm. so you obtain it so that you can now speak to people and create the image you want them to see you in right mm. or you use it as a way to experience your own life you know what i mean so that's the, the that's ego the sounds like the original sin when you put it that way that's what it sounds like. Yeah, the original that, it, it is. So th that's actually the story of, of um, Ravan. You know what I mean? They're saying mm. like, because they said Ravan was a very, very enlightened being and a very, very, very well-versed in all the scriptures, mm. like very, very devoted to, to Shiva. Like he had a very, like he was a very, um, very intelligent, educated and very spiritual being. Mm. But the 10 heads, he had ego. His, his ego was overfueled. And that turned him more demonic than divine. Mm. You know what I mean? That that's that was the that, that's such a powerful lesson. Self-identification with his own powers. Mm. Yeah. So you start to believe that this is all you. You. And it's not just a, instead of you're 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 not dissolving into this. More so, you're you're building yourself up with this. So there's the ego that comes with this. So you can you can know everything. You can literally know everything in terms of spirituality true. and scriptures, and know know all, all all the Vedas and all the all, all the sutras and the Bhagavad Gita. You can know everything. You you can have all all the knowledge, but it's your ego that, that acquired it because you're trying to cater to this image you're trying to portray. And I'm like, man, boom, that hit me. I'm like, that's dude, a, that is. I mean, that and what just hit me when you said that is is uh, uh, very strange. A sudden realization that I think that the fruit. In the Garden of Eden, the fruit of good and evil, or the knowledge of good and evil, uh, was ego. Uh, it it made yeah. you see duality where it did not exist before. You lived in non-duality. Good and evil was brought in because you ate the damn apple. But that's the point yeah. of Advaita Vedanta. I mean, to transcend good and evil, to transcend duality, non-duality is the yeah is the reality. The have ultimate. You heard, reality. Have you heard of the Have you heard of the stoned ape theory? Oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do you think about it though? That's, I mean, do you think I don't know, man? I'm a little. Um, I'm, I, I I'm skeptical. A little, yes. I'm skeptical. But I on. think that it could be true. I mean, I, I can't if because the, the 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 reality of that before you even go into the the theories of it is you. There's no way to know. Mm. There's no way really to know. There's, you can't test and prove and find samples and stuff, but. It's possible that some some like band of chimpanzees or, or early you know 
primates or you know cavemen era people came across some form of a hallucinogen mm. and then it it expanded their at least their sense of communication with each mm. other which i could see it expanded maybe a sense of self that mm. i could see it it, it 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 not i wouldn't say enlightened them in any sense but i definitely i might have definitely opened a door for them to be more capable with their communication and things like that but once that door opens that's where it, the, the the snowball starts rolling you know but it's also possible it's just a story and it's a it's a metaphor but i i could see there being some there's potential. i mean there's some credence to that i i do think yeah. there's some credence to that but i think on it uh, slightly different I, i think paul stamens or was it terence mckenna i keep forgetting uh, i think it was I, terence mckenna Terence McKenna populated the stone ape theory and someone yeah. I think was it Stamens I don't remember someone po- uh, postulated another theory and the other theory is that um the stone ape thing didn't happen but our ancestors were not primitive uh, cavemen who dwelled in in you know near river waters and, and in caves and things like that they were sophisticated and advanced who could oh you're talking about um Graham Hancock I think the Graham Hancock yes 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 yeah, so yeah, yeah. and they could uh, of course they were in some sense yogi so they could cycle between the different psychedelic states of their mind consciously they could consciously access these psychedelic states we have of evidence of that in india yeah 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 like like we we have literally architect- look at the that. architecture in india the ancient yeah. architecture it's bloody psychedelic the, the older you go the better it gets oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. obviously they weren't these primitive like uh, you look at some of these oh, temples Mandala, i'm not sure you've been to so many uh, you're telling thing. me people built this with chisels come on nonsense like, oh, nonsense really There's no way. Like there's no I I'm not saying I'm not saying aliens did it and I'm, no, no, I'm no, not No no no, I don't believe in the alien theory. They're high on psychedelics why they did it. <laughs> But I definitely think that they were more sophisticated, more enlightened, yes. more aware, more capable and we have a lot to learn from them. Oh yeah, I, I think very, the technology that they arrogant. used uh was a mixture of uh, what we would now call western uh, engineering and and some uh, and some esoteric i don't know some some esoteric state of for example ayurveda is a very esoteric uh, study it's not uh, something that the western lens can even understand can even begin to understand yeah. i mean it talks about different body types and how certain uh, plants can impact different body types I and mean, these are things that the western medicine yeah. would not even bother touching it's esoteric were, no so and oh. and and these things come from an ancient time so yeah. they had a lot of knowledge and there's there's tremendous amounts of 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 you know stories and i mean i would say evidence but but definitely a, a lot of indication that people were living way longer than as well oh yeah yeah like i believe that we're living well 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 over 100 oh, yes, on yes. A, on average you believe the yuga and, and, concept the yug concept of india i mean the, the we go back yeah. millions of years millions of years man and that that makes sense we like we have like the, the kalyugas and the satyugas and all these like, you, like there's the, the 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 pendulum swings throughout these golden to dark ages throughout time and according to the the astrological indication we're going through the dark phases now we're just yeah. coming out of it in fact yeah yeah like it's supposed it's we're actually actually this is the time we're ending it now like we're on the last like last bit of that bracket of the kalyuga hum to hum to nikal jayenge tab tak western uh, you know western sciences or western uh, concepts of understanding are very uh, deep rooted in christianity and christianity limits uh, mm-hmm. uh, biological life to 6000 years and if you look at the yeah. hindu tradition 6000 years ago was krishna so dwapar yuga i think dwapar yuga uh, treta yuga dwapar yeah. yuga i think ended 
uh, with Krishna, with with the Mahabharat, the 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 fight of the Mahabharat. Yeah, and it yeah. ended about 5,000 years ago, 5, 6,000 years ago. And the oldest architectural remains that we have are from the same time. So there was obviously some sort of yeah. calamity that happened 5, 6,000 years ago. It was the beginning ago. of the Kali Yuga. Yes, yes. Yeah. What is so fascinating is, I mean, if you read about uh, uh, the, the Treta Yuga and the, the Satyug, the stature of people, the lifespans of 10,000 years, 100,000 years ago, 100,000 years they used to live normally. They were 30 feet, 20 feet tall. That's how they described it. It's a fucking Yeah, space. I mean, they described that way. And it could be an exaggeration. It we don't be. know. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe like, like, like you know, like I'm I'm six feet tall or six one. If I see someone who's seven two, six one, I can grab like like I was. Uh, I, I was like I was like oh that guy's like eight nine feet tall. Like I can uh, exaggerate. And over uh, time, something nine. I think they say he was ten feet tall and eleven feet tall. A thousand years later, he's like eleven, at least ten feet. Uh, like uh, it, it goes on and on. I mean, it can get watered down uh, over that time as well. But you never know. Like you 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 never know because if you if you think about it, right? If we right now. Like we have, we definitely have people that are seven two, seven three. Oh, yeah. you know, those are those best specimens, and we also have, also have pe- people that, that are dwarfs that are that mm. are like three feet, you know, mm. sometimes less. Mm. Now, if you had separated these people, right? You keep all the tall people in one part of the world, mm. and all the short, all, all, all the the dwarfs and the short people in another part of the world. Over thousands and thousands of years, we're evolving different species or different mm-hmm. uh, breeds of humans, mm-hmm. right? So we don't know that maybe that was what was going on back in the day. There wasn't international travel, American Airlines and Air India and all this stuff going around. If you mm. wanted to go somewhere else, it Vimana, was like, you know, yeah, like, they were Vimanas. What are you talking about? Uh, well, what the sabke baat thoda the yaar. You need to online hopper pe ticket khareed rahe log. <laughs> but but like but it, that that sense of separation in terms of genetics and biology also could have enabled. So that would be a race of giants. Oh yeah, you know what I mean, and then and then the seven would turn to eight, and eight would turn to nine. You know, and and and, and that would that kind of would separate people, like white white skin people, and dark skin people. So I there's, mean, but we've also mixed with globalization. But then the, all these evidence of giants living in those days, it could I mean, possible. The, the, the Danish, uh, the tallest people in the world. You've been to yeah. Uh, the Scandinavian countries you've seen people and and, uh, our our friend Mo who's six four but I've seen I've seen girls go up to him and take pictures and they hold him like he's their little brother like they're the girls there's their arms around him whoa Uh, I see I see see him die a little bit inside (laughs) no because usually he's always the tallest guy in the room this was all about Scandinavian countries generally this was uh, I, a lot more in Holland. Like so. Holland, there's some tall people. They're, they're very, very like very big, strong genetics there. Even in even in Scandinavia, there's like mm. those Viking genetics with big oh, yeah, people yeah. there. Strong, very fit, big people. So they're, I mean, they've they've been through hardships as well. Morte so needed to. Morte biniyote. Morte sirf America mein saare. Usually, like I hate I hate to say, it, but like the fattest people I've seen in the entire world are in America on average. Even more than like, Indians. And then, Oh, you don't even know, man. It, see, yeah. the the type of fat I see in India or in Europe or something. Like the obviously fat. Lala, mm. they're obviously fat. Mm. There's a different type of fat in America, like because the food is so much worse. Yeah, well, like when just, the fat starts accumulating on the forehead and stuff like that. Every, it's just the people are just immobile. Like they they can't even walk. Their legs are enormous. Like they just can't even move. Like they, and you can't say anything because then they'll cry that there's, you're not you're fat for. Well, you you, like you can you can cry if you want, but I mean you're obviously unhealthy. You've obviously eaten terribly, mm. and I'm sure you had 
you, now, now you have diabetes and you have dietary issues, of course, of that, but maybe it was genetic, but you definitely made it way worse with your Close food. You. And, and they glorify this food. You go mm -hmm. like you know, all the fast food and stuff. It, like I, I don't eat meat anymore. And I try to eat healthy as much as possible. It is extremely difficult and very expensive if you want to eat healthy and well. Like in India, the, the, the weirdest part about that is the poorer you are, the healthier, healthier you would eat. Very true. Very true. I've said this to other people as well. They don't yeah. acknowledge it as much. Very true. Uh, uh, we have McDonald's and KFC and uh. everything like that. You have to have money for McDonald's and Pizza Hut and all these things. You know, poor people can't afford that. They're eating lentils. They're eating mm. vegetables. They're eating wheat. They're eating healthier and things. Living, living so, longer than us. Living longer than us. Living longer. It's a rich man's vice to eat mm. garbage food in India. But here, it's the only thing you can afford. You have to be a rich person to afford to eat. Here, you'll go to McDonald's, $1, you'll get a, a burger with something else, or the cheap stuff. You want to go get a salad, $8. So, like, that's the problem. So so what are you going to eat anyway? uh, Incentivize your being unhealthy. Exactly. And then they also give you the prescription medications to, to curb your illnesses now. So they're selling, you, they're selling you the problem and they're selling you the solution. And now, if that's where, like, I'm skeptical. No, you like, you need to get out of that country as soon as possible. I, I know, man. I know. I, I think I need to come back soon. Aja, Aja. But that's the problem. So the, the type of unhealthy and fat that you see in America on average is very, very staggering. Like, it's not, it's not anywhere comparable to anywhere else in the world. And they, no one realizes that here. Because when you talk to people about their diet in America, there's just like, ah, don't, let's not go there. They don't want to, don't touch my bacon. You know, don't touch my McDonald's. Don't don't touch my my sugar and my and my my Popeyes and my KFC. Like you don't want you don't want anyone to even touch that because it makes them happy because there's dopamine. Reward Sounds like a country of addicts, man. Sounds like a country. It of is, addicts. of course. You, it, food's the probably the biggest addiction people have here, but it can't be called an addiction because it's not illegal. If you made these fast food illegal, people would be buying it like like crackheads in, in alleys on the street. But, you know, it's, it's terrible. The amount of sugar, the can, giant bags of sugar. Like, it's just different. You know, it's not like, you need laddu khare, golgappe. It's not like everything the Everything is big, thing, huh? Right? Everything is big. The serving sizes huge. are big. Everything is huge. It's huge. It's just, and it's, it's garbage. It's just garbage jelly. And I'm not going to lie. I loved it. I, I, I haven't eaten sugar in almost four years now. Like, I've, I've got out my... Yeah. No, no, laddu, faddu, no, gujia, jalebi. Gujbini. Uh, no, gujbini. I haven't, I haven't, no, no cakes, no cookies, no ice cream. And Whoa. the reason is because I, because I love it. Like I really, really like I, mm. I sugar, sugar for me was I need handfuls of just like uh, excess amounts because I'm blessed. Gen genetically, I'm blessed. I would say that I, I don't put on fat like that. I don't get out mm. of shape like that. So I, I guess I took it for granted for sure. Mm. But your body speaks to you. If it is not speaking with you through weight and or excess fat, it's still speaking to you through breakouts and pimples or skin changes and hair. And if you start noticing subtle changes, you're like, okay, just because I'm not looking bad doesn't mean it's not bad for me. So I think eventually I had to do that. But I had to, it's not that I don't eat any sugar. It's just I stopped the act of consuming something sheer for its sheer uh, sugar content. Mm. Like, I, if I'm eating a, like a protein bar or something or something. In some way addicted. I mean, that was sort of an addiction. Oh yeah. Not some way, in every way. Like I just, I, I like, I would have sugar cravings. Sugar and is addictive, I, I, isn't it? it it's, it's 10 times more addictive than cocaine. Oof. They did studies on lab rats and they found out that a sugar was, uh, uh, sorry, a rat was more likely to choose sugar over cocaine one or uh, in 10 times, uh, uh, nine, nine or 10 times, there was more 
likely to choose sugar over cocaine. And that's, that's insane because they actually found that sugar activates the same reward systems in your brain mm. that cocaine does, but a much more enhanced version. I think, I think it's dopamine, but we also have these, these reward systems that release mm. the chemicals, mm -hmm. but it's the neurological reward system mm -hmm. that we have. And we have these for a reason, because if you were to take this garbage sugar out of the equation, if you were to find a source of something extremely sweet in the wild, you need to find, eat this as much as possible. It would only be fruits. It would be honey. Mm. It would be certain types of flowers. So you don't need honey in sugar? No, I do. That's the thing. Like, say so the honey, I, I'm not going to be stupid to myself and say, like, honey is very beneficial. You should eat honey. And, and but I would, I would eat honey for its nutritional content, not mm. for its sugar content. Sugar content. You know what I mean? Right, right. So, but I, I had to cut out the things that I what wanted. What are the effects the that you noticed once you started cutting off sugar? Sugar, you know, psychological effects more than anything else was that I noticed that when I finally curbed my sugar cravings, I taught myself discipline in a way I don't think anything else could have taught me. Because oh, oh, give me an example. Because leaving meat followed about a year and a half later, right? As soon as I knew I wasn't going to eat meat, gone. It, it, it just wasn't even an issue because tackling sugar was such an issue for me. So it was so hard for me to let it go. But the thing with me is when I, when I say no to myself, it's not happening anymore. Like, it's just not going to happen. There's no like, uh, one, no, it's just no. Like, and I, I almost make a separation within myself that I'm like, I, I almost enjoy in this weird little twisted way of watching myself like a kid, like, oh, I want it, I want it. Like, no, you're not getting it. And then that actually gives me this like, okay, you know, you're being disciplined. So once I, I followed through with not eating sugar, it got easier over time, of course. But now when I have to be disciplined or I have to re refrain from something, whether, you know, then I really find it easy because I've already opened the pathway mm -hmm. to, to, to being disciplined about resisting something. So the meat was so easy for me. You know what I mean? And, 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 and whenever I'll have to make certain types of sacrifices in, in your life, you know, you practice abstinence and things like that. Like these things, you don't face as much difficulty when you've been able to curb one of your biggest addictions, I would say in a way. So that actually, I, I realized, that gave me more confidence as I faced new challenges in my life that had to do with, um, we have to do with compulsiveness and impulsiveness of stuff like that. So I really, really was able to, to teach myself to be, to be, um, to refrain from things I really, really wanted to do. So that was my biggest thing I noticed on top of that. On top of that, I noticed that my taste buds became so much more sensitive afterwards. Like a fruit okay. tasted so much better than it did before. You know what I mean? Like the food tasted better because it's like usually Is it similar to so... when you quit cigarettes and you start having non-taste. I never, I never had any, I, I never had addictions in that sense uh, okay. of those things. Like I, I never, I'm ne I was never a, 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 a cigarette addict or alcohol mm. addict. I, mm. I never, I never gravitated towards those things mm. because, in a way, like it wasn't, they didn't appeal to me the way sugar did. Mm -hmm. Sugar was the one I'm like, ooh, like I, like it just, uh, like it, it, it was the only real thing that I could say that I really had addiction. Everything else I didn't, like I, I never, I, either I tried and didn't really care for it mm. much or I never really cared for it at all. Like a, a lot of these party drugs and stuff like that, I never cared. I, I'm like, <coughs> I'm not interested. I'm not interested in whatever people doing cocaine and stuff. I'm not interested in whatever yeah, that looks that's like. That's what I agree with. Never, like, Neither I don't try, tr never tried. Many opportunities you've gotten, but never, never really yeah. got into that.
I don't, it just never appealed to me, but the sugar was the one that actually really like, you know, got me. I'm like, man, this is a, it, it just, it just the reward system, like that, that feeling of this, this rush the sugar would get, would give me, that was it. And it's like, once I curbed that, I felt like I've tackled my biggest obstacle and anything I need to really take care of after that is going to be the easiest thing for me. Very insightful and a very, very healthy discussion, I think. Um, do you have any closing thoughts? We've been at it for about four hours now. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Time flies, man. All I right. Know, man. And I got to get you again and again on this one. So we got to keep some yeah, content. Yo, you know, I mean, speaking of that, I'm honored to be your first guest, man. I'm excited right. for this uh, for this journey you have ahead. You, uh, I mean, you and Mo were, of course, and, and you more so because I wouldn't have met Mo if I didn't know you. And, you know, you, you did, uh, when you came here in December, uh, you were right. I, I should have gotten into it sooner. And, and you were responsible for the last push that I needed. So thank you for yeah, that. Well, I mean, you needed to do it, man. I, I, feel like, I feel like you have it in you. I feel like you have that, um, that, I, you. that, that control over your language and stuff like that as well. And it's a unique That's the truth, you know, so you have to find your ways to express it and, you know, move along this journey as it comes. Thank but you. Yeah, man. I'm really, I'm really happy for this. I'm Do you have any closing thoughts, my friend? Go on. Well, I would say closing thoughts would, would be that, you know, people need to just o- open up to life, open up to being positive, being happy, o- open up to finding your, your sense of purpose, the thing that drives you, the thing that ignites you and stop letting yourself be an, a compulsive creature. Stop, stop thinking compulsively. Stop acting compulsively. Stop being a person that's more victim of your own thoughts and your own emotions and become more proactive and, and, and expressive in your life and, and bring to the world what you have within you. You know, the, like, the world needs artists now. The world needs thinkers. The world needs mm-hmm. people that are the real leaders and real, real energy. And it's time that the people start to understand that and find what they have in them that they can offer to the world. Because when you offer something to, to, to offer yourself to a purpose that's much bigger than you, you'll always have a sense of life within you. You'll always have a sense of devotion. But if you're living a selfish life that's always about you, you're very prone to being depressed and anxious and you're very prone to, to going down these mental loopholes that are going to just lead you into dark places. But if you just understand that you, if you put yourself and devote yourself to a bigger purpose, devote yourself to just finding your true express, expression in life, then you're going to, you're going to find life there. You're going to find bliss. You're going to find joy and you're going to find peers and you're going to find people that are on this journey with you. And you find this sense of inclusiveness Mm. that really makes you feel complete in life. Cause otherwise you're always going to feel alone. You're Mm. always going to feel like it's the world against you and everyone thinks always things are happening to you. You're going to, you're going to become a victim of life instead of an experiencer of life. And I think that's what people need to open, open their, their minds to and open their perception to. How does one do that? Meditation? They just, they just need to be honest. They just need to be perceptive. They need to be willing to make change. They need to be com- stepping outside of their comfort zones. Everyone has a different avenue they have to go towards. But before anything, just start to understand that. Just start to let that marinate and digest in your mind and understand, okay, I got to start taking steps beyond me. I got to start doing that. And I think the, once you've done that, in my experience, and I'm sure you could say the same, and everybody that I know are on similar paths, that the road paves itself. Like one, once you, I, I like I like to I like to quote um, I like to quote Sadhguru one one thing he said in a in a video. 
He's like, if you just learn to shut up, everything that needs to happen to you is going to happen to you. <laughs> like you just, just shut up and on all dimensions of yourself. Just shut up, shut your mind, shut your emotions, just shut up and stop talking and stop thinking and stop doing everything and just realize what's around you and everything's going to happen. And that's how it is. That's how it works. It's the truth. Leopold Sharma, thank okay. you very much. It was, it's been an honor. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, man. Very well. It's been fun. And let's Until do next this time, again. Yeah, let's do this again. And next time, let's get our dear friend Mo on it as well. Let's have a trilogue. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, man. I'm excited. I'm structured. I think it's going to be a little bit more. We'll do it. Let's go. Okay, I'll put this. Right, uh, let me just stop the recording first. Yeah.